This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Inside View, Alien Abductions, Celebrity Exposés, Kinky Sex or Something. Inside View is a cultural microscope focusing in on the collective unconscious of the American populace, identifying and defining the cultural archetype of the American mind. Buy the latest issue of Inside View featuring Richard D's story on possessed girls and killer parents at your local newsstand today. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a listener recommendation week here on Pod Cemetery with the added theme of monster investigation. Yes, finding out if monsters are real. 1997's The Night Flyer is our classic film based on the Stephen King story. And 2014's Digging Up the Marrow is our modern film. Let's get started with our classic film, 1997's Stephen King's The Night Flyer, recommended by Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Directed by Mark Pavia, with a story, of course, by Stephen King, and a screenplay by Mark Pavia and Jack O'Donnell. Starring Miguel Ferrer, Juliet Whistle, and Don Monahan. I was a little bummed. No lie to see that this was not a Mick Garris joint. Interestingly, later we would watch Digging Up the Marrow where Mick Garris makes an appearance. (laughs) It is said that it's maybe a TV movie because it appeared on HBO. It looks like a TV movie. It did premiere in America on HBO. It first premiered in Italy in May and then in November it appeared on HBO and then in February of 98, it had an actual theatrical release. But yes, it looks and feels like a TV movie. Kelsey, what is The Night Flyer about? A tabloid journalist has been tasked with covering a story of a guy who is doing murders all along the eastern coast of the U.S., And it seems like he thinks he's a vampire. And so he's going to do a story about that. The movie is not available anywhere, but you can watch it on YouTube. There's actually a couple full uploads on YouTube. It is also available on DVD. It's been released by HBO and Warner Home Video. So you can find it in places. It is on YouTube. That's how we watched it. Kelsey, should people watch The Night Flyer? Aside from the fact that it's a Stephen King story, and aside from the fact that it's about a vampire, and these are reasons we watched it. <laughs> from the fact that it's got Miguel Ferrer, no, 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 you should definitely not watch this it's movie. It's kind of a nothing of a movie. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Like we say, it feels like it's made for TV, and it it is the lighting, the direction, yes, the writing, yes. It also feels like it thinks its premise is maybe a little bit more elevated than it actually is. We have a vampire, in quotes, getting in a little Cessna and flying into small airports and killing the people that he finds there. And it it, it feels like it thinks that this is like a 
scary idea. And it's not that I cannot think of Dracula flying in a little Cessna airplane and think that that's fucking intimidating. Well, yeah, it's interesting because I think that the only real reason to see this is if you're a big fan of the movie Nightcrawler, because I'm fairly certain I have a theory that Nightcrawler is based on this story. That is that is very interesting. Insofar as we have, you know, like a m- sort of muckraking journalist type who will do anything for a story and doesn't care that he's a bad person as long as he gets the story. Because mm-hmm. that's what it takes. Yes. And I have read the short story, so I'll be putting in little things here and there. It does actually do a pretty good job of following the short story. Uh, it adds some stuff because, of course, it has to. The biggest difference is the ending. Yeah. Well, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1997's The Night Flyer. One, zero, one, Bravo, Lima. Come in, over. I can't have you sitting in the middle of my runway. Respond, over. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the Night Flyer begin? So, the vampire obviously always goes to teeny tiny little airports. Okay, that's the point. You go places where people aren't going to, it's not a, like, not a lot of witnesses are going to walk away. Yeah, my my hometown had one of those small airports where a buddy of mine used to, be like the gas attendant there like he would run out and he would you know refill these small little planes with gas it's very very small airports Mm -hmm. they're exactly like they're shown on this by the way that is that is how they are yes and uh stephen king of course does an amazing job of describing these in the story Uh but anyway so the guy's like oh man why do all the weird ones have to fly at night because he's trying to get his attention to get off the landing strip i don't fucking know uh but he won't move So he goes to investigate, and he finds what, in the terrible lighting, looks like green slime, because you can't fucking tell. Yeah. The lighting is so, so bad in this movie. He finds something, and then he ends up getting, uh, he looks inside the, I don't know what you call it, the cab of the plane? And he gets his head bashed, and then there's, like, weird scrape marks across his face, and you see... A man in a cape. Yeah, like a straight-up Halloween Dracula, high-collared black cloak with a red lining. And I'm like, okay, is he going to have a widow's peak? Are we going to see a medallion as well? Like, is that the kind of Dracula we're going for here? And they do broach the idea that this dude thinks that he's a vampire, so he dresses like a vampire. That's what the short story, like, that's the whole thing. Like, he's so intrigued by him because everyone who meets him is like, yeah, he totally dresses like a vampire. Like, he thinks he's a vampire. And that intrigues the character that Miguel Ferrer is playing. He's like, oh, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see your ridiculous clothing. And the joke is, he really is a vampire. 
Right. So he's a real vampire that dresses like a movie vampire. Yeah. The, the, the movie recognizes that this is a sort of, he's putting on airs. Yes. Although I don't think the movie really addresses that at all. It's the short story that does. Uh, maybe, because I, I read some of the short story, but I didn't read the whole thing. And this isn't like a a concept that's unfamiliar to us, specifically even with vampires. The idea of somebody thinking that they're a vampire, so they act out, they act out vampire, vampire things. I'm a vampire. Yeah, so there's Vampire's Kiss. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! is one example of that with Nicolas Cage, of course. And there's Martin. (laughs) Right? Like, so we've covered movies with this premise before, and I'm not tired of it yet. But this movie does nothing with it Mm -hmm. because it is actually a vampire. Yes. Mm -hmm. But like, no doubt, there's no speculation. It's just a fucking vampire. Right, and the idea kind of being that, you know, every fiction comes from something real. I guess, yeah, uh-huh. So we meet then Miguel Ferrer, and he comes in hot. He is yeah. angry and screaming Steaming. because the only way to... Because if you've read Stephen King, like, I mean, I mean, any story, everything is in their head, right? So, like, you get the inner monologue so crystal clear. You know? Yeah. And no one has a problem with that because you're reading from their perspective. Mm-hmm. You can't That's do why that books in a movie. Are cheating. Books are cheating. I've said it before, I'll say it again. People give books a lot of leeway because you can fucking do anything with a book. You just read it, it's on the page, and you absorb it and you accept it, right? You accept things that you would not accept in movies. But I wrote down, I was just like, was never meant to be dialogue. Stephen yeah. King, most of uh-huh. Stephen King's writing is never meant to be dialogue. Uh-huh. And they took a lot, not everything, but they did take a lot, and they just put it into these people's mouths, and it was just like, no, no, that does not sound normal. Yeah. And also, they have to, because they need you to know that Miguel Ferrer is an asshole, they need to have him be an asshole. Like, in, in just a A1 total prick. Whereas in the story, it's very, very specific he puts on a full-on persona when he speaks to people, mm-hmm. which is another reason why I thought Nightcrawler was based on it. Yeah. So, like, he is trying to, like, he he fakes his smile, and he doesn't know how people actually smile and interact yeah. with other mm-hmm. people. He doesn't get that. I see what you're going for, yeah. Right? So, but they couldn't do that in the movie, so they just had him scream and be mad all the time. Uh-huh. And it's not Ferrer's fault. That's what the script That's is. what the script gave him. Oh, yeah. And he will be a total jackass multiple times. And he's mad at his boss. Yep. And I was glad to see that the boss is smoking a pipe. And yes, he's supposed to. And yes, it is supposed to be ridiculous on purpose. Uh-huh. He's a very small man. <laughs> and his boss like knows that Miguel Ferrer can do it, he just needs the motivation to do it, because he's always been on the cover, and, like, the co- the boss is like, I'm taking away the cover, because you haven't been doing as well. Yeah. Or something. He wants him to go, he wants him to handle it, because he's like, you're good with Hicks, you know how to talk to them. Yeah, and I don't know where he gets this from, 
He's not that great with the people he talks to. Well, in the story, he's supposed to be. Uh-huh. Like, it's it's just not, yeah. They were conflicting the things that, like, the myth of the character of Dee's with the cool, gruff guy they wanted to put on screen. And those things conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so he says no. I mean, I, at first he says he won't do it. And he, so he gives it to this brand new girl. Catherine. Mm-hmm. So when this chick got on the screen, I was like, Phoebe Cates. Totally. And she seems obsessed with Miguel Ferrer. And we find out it's because she loves all of his cover. She's, she wants to be him. Yeah. Because uh-huh. he has all these cover stories. And uh, no, she is not in the short story. And I, she, I think she's entirely, pu- at first I was like, okay, is that Maybe how we're going to. interest or whatever. Well, maybe. But I thought, is that how they're going to get, like, the audience, like, in the story, you know, learning about him? Right? But that's really not what happens No, the here. audience, we follow Dee's. Yeah. Um, instead, she basically is just there so that they can change the ending. Yeah. That's Which how I felt. Which is really weird. By the way, can we talk about the fact that this guy's name is Richard Dee's or Rick Dee's? <laughs> For we those of you that don't know, he was a radio was personality in the, in the southern in Southern California. Yes, you're right. <laughs> it is before that. But when I hear D's, I'm like, there's only one person I know named Rick D- named D's, and that's Rick D's. And this character's name is Richard D's. <laughs> D's nuts. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but so uh, she like follows him and. Follows him to a bar, and he tells her the only advice that he'll give her, and that's because it's in the story. Never believe what you publish. Never publish what you believe. Yeah. Which is important because he, in the story, he's constantly thinking, okay, that's not going to get on print because no one, because I believe that. That actually happened, so I can't talk about that. Uh But all the mythos stuff that I don't believe in, I'll, I'll publish that in a heartbeat. This is the first time we get a mention of another Stephen King story because he works for a tabloid. There's ample opportunities to just describe Stephen King plots. And in this one, he talks about a school teacher who, murder, who murders kids because she's paranoid they're going to kill her. That's from a short story from the same book that, that Nightflyer was in, actually. Oh, really? Uh, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, yeah. Oh, funny. But so he, after he gives her this advice, he also realizes, wait a minute, I'm a bad guy and I don't like you. So he decides to try and scare her out of the business because he doesn't like anybody coming in on his territory. Competition. Why would he want it? So he tells her these stories of these people that have had horrible things happen to them. And he tells her a specific story about this girl, Dottie, who used to work at the same newspaper as he did. And eventually she killed herself because she couldn't handle it. Yeah, the whole Dottie thing is a little weird. That whole story, we see her eventually, like, we see the flashback. Because they needed to have something scary right, in there. of him find, because he's the one who found her dead in her bathtub. Right, not in the story, but he does talk about this Dottie character and what she did to herself. Uh-huh. But it's more of, like, a anecdotal thing. Yeah, and then later on, is she one of the dead people? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she is, is she she's one, one of the, the chicks that approaches later? him, and... and if you hadn't been paying attention at the beginning of the movie, you would have been like, who the fuck is this chick? <laughs> because I think she gets brought up one more time and then we see her at the end. Yeah. So, but at the same time, uh, we get some cuts of the vampire getting some more of his victims. 
And Chris was yeah. a little confused when he first saw I'm it. Very confused. I knew exactly what was happening because I'd read the story, but I imagine if I hadn't read it, I might be a little confused. He's putting them under a spell. Yes. I mean, eventually it's very clear, right? Yeah, yeah. The movie, it's not like it withholds that information from you. It's just, it's a little bizarre because you have this older woman who, like, she looks like she's 80. But they talk about her like she's, they say she's 65. Right. And they talk about how gussied up she's getting and how she wants to be sensuous. So she gets a perm. And, like, she looks like my grandma. And, like, at no point is it like, oh, she's sexying herself up for him. And as a matter of fact, one of the things she does is to get a perm to look more grandma-like. But it's supposed to make her look younger. I understand. The movie did a piss-poor job of that. They say she's 65, and she looks like she's, like, 80. Well, okay, so the idea is she is supposed to look older than she is. Yeah. And he puts her under this spell so that she'll look beautiful for him Uh for when he kills her. Right. So I got the spell thing, but, like, I don't know. I feel like they could have done more with that. I wanted to see more... This is really the only insight you get at all into sort of what he does with his victims. Uh, And you don't see much of it. Yeah, it seems like, well, in this particular story, in this moment, he enjoys just, like, beating up the guy. Yeah. And then having a sexual encounter with with the woman. Yes. So, you know, not too far off from what vampires lore would have you believe. But, I mean, think about this for a second. My mom is older than that character is supposed to be. Hey, things, times were different. (laughs) Times were different. Uh, Yeah, I guess, I guess. Oh, my God. Okay, so, Ferrer's boss had given the story to the girl. But when Ferrer finds out that she's going to do it, he also learns, I think, about that second murder. He learns there's another murder and that, that there is a pattern and that nobody's clocked this yet. And so the guy's like, "I do you? Are you sure you don't want it? Do you want like he's offering it to Ferrer? It's not like Ferrer steals it." But so Ferrer's like, "Yes, I do want it." And then he tells the chick that she doesn't get to go, so she dramatically rips it up and then <laughs> throws it up <laughs> into the air for her plane ticket. And we get this terrible cutscene, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, who?" It's like a fade. This movie? Yeah. It's because she offers him the ticket and he's like, I don't need it. We haven't mentioned he's a pilot himself. Yes. That's part of the reason, you know, he's a, he's a great writer, but he also has a pilot's license in a small plane so he can go from location to location and do the interviews and, and stuff like that. And get these stories in these hick towns uh-huh. easily. And so he says that and she, yeah, she rips up the ticket, throws it. It's like, why would you do that? It's so Especially silly. Especially if you want to follow him later. It's so silly. Yeah, it's pretty bad. There is a moment that they briefly touch on in the movie that I did see in the short story. It's at the very beginning of the short story where Morrison, the editor, like makes Dees apologize to him and say that he was right. And it's a very minor moment and it feels out of character in the movie. But in the book, it tells us more about the character. So it's weird. Like they do something that's literally in the book. Where he's like, yeah, fine, you may have been right, you know, whatever, you know. And that was that was D sort of begrudgingly admitting it just so he can get the story in the movie. But in the book, it's like, no, you were right. This is actually good stuff. I'm gonna I'm interested in, you know, pursuing whatever. 
it just felt like they didn't quite hit that moment the way it appears in the book or in the well, short story. Well, that's because of all the changes that they had made. Yeah. In, the, in, this, in the movie, it's now seems like part of the reason he wants it is because it's been given to this girl, which is not right. part in the story at all. Yeah. And he'll just say whatever it takes to get it, you know, whereas it didn't feel like that in the short story. Mm-hmm. Now, when he goes to into do his first interview for this story, the guy he interviews is going to say that, oh, he flew in from Derry. Yes. Which, in the story, he said Bangor. Now, I don't know if this was written before or after it. I do not know. But Bangor is a real place in Maine. Yeah. And it, com- they, it comes up a lot in, shor- in, in Stephen King's works, including it. They talk about Bangor because it's a real place. Right. So it... No, but this was 1997. I thought it was interesting that they put in Derry. People know it. Apparently. Yeah, uh uh-huh. So I'm not surprised. He also, this mechanic at the airport, also describes the vampire that he saw. And he says that that, uh, the cloak was as red as a fire engine on the inside. Black as a woodchuck's asshole outside. That's random. I know. It is. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because I was like, is that a fucking saying? Also, are woodchucks assholes black? <laughs> no, I don't know. I cannot confirm if a woodchuck's butthole is actually black. But I looked up that phrase to see if it was a real phrase. And the thing that came up is a post on the r slash Stephen King subreddit. Nice. Called King Repeats, Black as a Woodchuck's Asshole. And it's just a list of similes that he uses, including especially how black things are. So in the Night Flyer and Autopsy Room 4, he uses black as a woodchuck's asshole. He uses in Langoliers, black as an elephant's asshole. Ah. And uh, later, black as a black cat's asshole. And missed black as a rotted tooth, black as a top hat. Black as a rotten strawberry. These are all in different stories. Black as a rain cloud. Black as a night in hell. Black as a mine shaft in Christine. Black as a decayed pumpkin. Black as a crow's wing is in three different stories. Gerald's Game, Wizard and Glass in It. Black as a dark mirror and black as a moonless night is also in It. He just calls things black a lot. And Rat, he uses black as the devil's riding boots, which I feel like I've heard before. Black as a black cat in a coal mine, which makes sense logically. And then black as a woodchuck's asshole. I <laughs> don't know why he has this obsession with woodchuck butts, but it's there. Three different stories he uses black as a woodchuck's asshole in. Interesting. Yeah, uh-huh. wonder if these were all just eras of his life when he was going through using different things. It's just things. sayings because he gives all of his characters sayings. Yes. You know, things they might have heard that their mother once said. Yes. But so this guy explains that he was talking to a guy who, the guy who was killed by the vampire, and he says it seems like he was in a trance. He was cleaning this guy's plane, and then he ended up dead the next day. Yeah. He also tells him, Chris said about what he looks like, and the fact that he found this pile of dirt underneath the plane with, like, maggots in it. Like, it had come from where dead things were. And... I thought it was interesting that they took out the little detail that this guy asked for money for that information. Because in the story, he has to keep paying him more money for the information. Interesting. They took that out here. Yeah, he just sort of gives it up. Yeah. But then they have to add in some shit. So he goes, Ferrer goes to a cemetery and like he can feel the vampire there or something. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, and he like it, to to show how much of a shitty journalist he is. He like kicks over a headstone and smears fake blood his on it. Blood. His own blood. His own right, hand. That's and, right. And puts blood on it. Uh-huh. And smears that on the tombstone and t- goes to take a picture of it and somebody's like, "Come on, man. Have respect for the dead." And then he's a dick to that guy. The guy who works in the cemetery. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's like, "You know what? If you don't have if you don't have respect for the dead, you'll probably be dead yourself soon." I don't know who you are, what you want. We respect the dead around here, mister. And I suggest you do the same. You might be joining old Claire sooner than you'd think. Really? <laughs> Thanks for the advice, Tiger. You're real credit to humanity. You'll get yours, you son of a bitch! Already got it. So then when Ferrer wakes up in his hotel or whatever to see Stay Away written in blood on the window, he assumes it's that guy. Yeah. He's going to get the same message later on in a bar. When he goes to look at the corpse, his eyes pop open, which I thought was weird. Yeah, and the coroner's like, ah, the fucking glue did always popping open. I'm just glad it happened now and not at the wake. <laughs> but so he's doing all this research and he gets on the phone with his boss and his boss is like, dude, I need to get this story to print. And Ferrer's like, no, man, you're going to have to wait. So the impatient boss sends the chick. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. She at one point, like, so while he's on the phone, I feel like, I don't know if it's here or not, but Morrison says, God, I hope he kills more people. Yes. Like he's, he's obviously, he's that kind of editor. He just wants the story. He wants people buying his magazine. God, I hope he kills more people. Look, fax me your copy. Send the pictures. Let's get going on this. Um, but- Catherine is looking at the wall at all these cover stories, and they're all by D's, but they're also all references to more Stephen King (laughs) stories. Probably the standouts are Kitty Cultists in Kansas, Worship Creepy Voodoo God, which is... Children of the Corn. Yep. Satanic Shopkeeper Sells Gory Goodies. Needful Things. Yep. This one's maybe a little bit more... Obscure, uh, Naked Demons Leveled My Lawn. Is that Lawnmower It's Lawnmower I man. only know because this is lawn. Exactly. The Ultimate Killer Diet. Gypsy Curse Flays Fat Lawyer's Flesh. Thinner. 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 Yeah. Thinner. So there are others that are referencing more obscure stories, but still... Yeah, they're all just, it's an opportunity to just put a bunch of Stephen King Easter eggs. Why not? Yeah, why not? I would. That's exactly what I would do. Are you kidding me? So he's driving along the highway, and this scene doesn't really have much to do with the main plot. It's just trying to further his character. So they he sees this collision and these dead people all over the place. And he goes to take pictures of them again, very much like in Nightcrawler. Yeah. And doesn't care that these people Jesus, are dying. You are so right. And well, this happens in the short story, too. And But in this one, uh, I mean, he doesn't come across a collision in the short story. This is, that happens later in the story. But in this one, he sees a car collision. And as he's taking pictures of these people as they're dying, suddenly he sees... Like flashes? Flashes of what's to come. Uh Uh-huh. Of what he's going to see, and that is what repulses him and stops him. I I don't think the people read the story and understood what Stephen King was trying to do with these. Because when it happens in the story, it's at the very end of the story, 
this is when he he has his interaction with the vampires uh-huh. right before this is right before that and he has such a visceral visceral reaction to trying to take pictures of these people as they're dying that's what changes him uh-huh. He suddenly realizes everything he's ever thought and done is wrong and he's a bad person. You know, like all these things. Whereas I think this movie and then what then Nightcrawler did with it is kind of what if he didn't? Right. What if he what if didn't, didn't have change. a problem with yeah, it? Uh-huh. What if that made him a worse person? Yeah. That's what those stories tried to do. By the way. Disease by Sister Machine Gun is playing when he's in the car. I point that out because it's just, it's a very odd sort of needle drop moment. And not in a way that's like, oh, I know that song. No, I had to look it up because I didn't know the song. It just felt like, why does this feel weird that this, this music cue in this moment, it just feels so... Like we're supposed to be thinking about the music. It was, it was a very weird moment. And there's another one later on in the bar that's very similar as well. Is this where he gives the voice notes? Because he gives voice notes in several different places where he narrates to his voice recorder. And it's like he's trying to think up phrases and things like that. And the voice notes are very like hard-boiled noir narration. It's like he's trying to narrate his own black and white detective movie. You know what I mean? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Buck Kendall was a one-night stand for you. You flew in shortly after 12 o'clock on the 23rd, spiked old Buck dead, and then took off again into the unfriendly skies. That's not the norm for you, is it, pal? You like to linger. Why? Maybe most times you wait around until you're really hungry, but poor old Buck was just a midnight snack. Been getting under my skin, fella. Doesn't look like this story's about to let me go, but that's okay, because I'm not letting go either. It's funny, when you give blood, the most you can expect is a cup of orange juice. But when you take blood, you get headlines. Sick fucker. Not sure, but the next thing I have is when he speaks to the beautician who's crying, and he takes her picture as she tells her story. Everyone. Everyone talks about how hot this lady was looking. Literally every person he talks to. Like, I don't mean to talk down to this actress. She looked fine. But, like, it didn't feel like the movie was trying to make her look attractive. When they describe the guy, her husband, they describe the whole as if it was for siphoning. Not... Yeah. Like what we think of as two little tiny puncture wounds and then they just suck out the blood. And that is in the story. And that is an interesting thing because that's kind of why he doesn't believe that he's real. Is because yeah, he only he has, to use has a tool one, or whatever. He has to use yeah. a tool to get the blood out. The way he describes it to Morrison is that, uh, yeah, not two cute little puncture marks from fangs or whatever, you know. It's like just one big hole in the guy's neck. And I like that. I like that with these sort of movies that are about things that we there are a lot of tropes for when there are variations and there are interesting variations, you know, like, oh, what you think, you know, isn't true. Well, as he's talking to this guy, I think he's going to see a rabid dog, which I thought was probably a connection to Cujo. Yeah, it's on the roof and then it chases him. And then when he gets to his car and looks back, it's still on the roof. And it's this is all in front of a cornfield. Uh-huh. Um, it is, you're right. And then almost immediately after that, he's almost hit by a truck. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, okay! <laughs> Every single Stephen King story we can put into this, let's do it. 
But yeah, at, at one point he's talking to his fucking boss, and I think this is when he says, his "Fucking boss." I hope that <laughs> yeah, and like I hope that you know more people die. And he like laughs maniacally by himself. He does, and I'm just like, is this a cartoon from the '90s? I guess it was the '90s, but like, it just felt like a cartoon villain. Just, right. Ah, ha, 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 ha. I, you know, it's one of the things that contributes to the feeling that it is like a made-for-TV movie yeah. and not like a theatrical release. Felt like they were just making a TV show that was intended to be broken up by commercials and things like that. You yes. Know? Mm-hmm. That felt like that should have been a commercial cut. Yeah. Well, when the chick finally shows up, Ferrer is, of course, upset. But pretends like he'll work with her. Pretends like he's going to do everything with her. Because she's done a lot of research as well. But and he ends up locking her in a closet. He does. Which is really shitty. It is really shitty. And it's like, it's not like... People won't know, because when she gets out, that's going to be your hotel room that's destroyed, your motel room that's destroyed under your name. Or she's not going to get out and people are going to find her or find her dead body. (laughs) Uh, And it's in your motel room. Like, come on. Has he already gotten the Bloody Mary at the bar? Has that happened? I don't know. He's at a bar and he's drinking and... Till My Head Explodes by Chainsuck is playing on the bar radio. Okay. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of music cues that we get in this movie. And the bartender brings him a Bloody Mary. It's from the guy down at the end of the bar. Oh, he was just there a second ago. I don't know where he went. And then he lifts up the Bloody Mary and underneath it is the message. Stay away or whatever it is that it says. Stop now is what it says on the napkin. And then he chases after him. I don't know if that's before or after he locks up what's her face. I'm not entirely sure, but I, where where does he get the message? Turn around while you still can. I don't want you here. Uh, that's in the bathroom. That's coming up here. At one point, he he so he shows up at like a big violent scene, right? And he slips in the blood in like a giant pool of blood. Isn't that the end? Yeah, it's coming up on the end here. Hold on. Because he has Catherine all locked up at this moment. This is like we're coming up on the climax. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he slips in the blood and then he goes to a bathroom to like clean up or something like that. And that's when he sees in the mirror just bloody piss hitting the back of a urinal. So that's how the short story kind of ends. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, he shows up at like apparently the biggest terminal that he's ever gone to. Uh Uh-huh. And he eats a lot of people. And uh-huh. that's when he sees the people dying. He goes to take the picture. It freaks him out. He goes to the bathroom. Uh-huh. Okay. And this is where he's having this big character change. And as he's having this character change, he hears the door open. It's like it's too late or whatever. And this, yeah. And this guy comes in. And, but he never looks away because he's too afraid. Uh-huh. He's staring at himself in the mirror. Vampires don't cast reflections. So he doesn't see anything. All he sees is suddenly blood being pissed. This is just Stephen King being, being Stephen, Stephen King. King. Yes. I mean, yes. it makes you ask questions. Why is his urine <laughs> visible, but not his cloak? <laughs> anyway. So he sees that. He's still so frightened. He refuses to look away. And the vampire comes up behind him. Right behind him. He can feel him. him and he can yeah. hear him, which, yes, that it, yeah. It is in the movie. You turn around while you still can. I don't want you here yet. Yeah. 
Uh, but in the story, this is the very end, and he tells him, the only reason I'm not I'm going to let you go is because I've fed well this evening, and you'd better stop now, or you will die next time we come in contact, basically. Yeah, and that's effectively what he tells Dee's in the movie as well. Except that in the movie... Ferrer is suddenly gonna go crazy. Well, we'll see that. Oh, I want to. I want to finish this moment here in the bathroom. Yeah. He comments on Dee's being bloodthirsty, right? In a metaphorical way, but also in a little bit of a literal way. He says, "Your appetite for blood intrigues me." And then he says the classic villain line: "We have a lot in common, you and I." Just, I can go the rest of my life without ever fucking hearing that ever again. <laughs> Your appetite for blood intrigues me. We have a lot in common, you and I. Perhaps you need me, these. But there are others who need me as well. Don't fear for your life, Deez. I have no intention of killing you. After all, we are brothers in blood, are we not? This sad world would be a much sadder place without the likes of you. Besides, I have fed well tonight. Mm. So very well. But listen closely, my inquisitive friend, because I say this only once. Do not follow me anymore, or I will swallow you whole. That much. I promise. He grabs him and he, like, pulls his head back. And Deez is like, oh my god, this is it. This is where I'm going to die. And we haven't said the character's name. The character's name, this is another thing that's like, he's wearing this dramatic, high-collared cloak. And he goes by the name Dwight Renfield. Yes. Renfield, obviously, from the classic Dracula story, played by a char- by an actor named Dwight. Mm-hmm. They put two and two together, and like, this guy's just a fucking Dracula wannabe, right? Again, straight yeah. out of the story. Uh-huh. Meant to make you think he's not a real vampire. Right. But he tells him as he has his neck exposed here, don't fear for your life, Deez. I have no intention of killing you. And then he lets him go. Deez. He like forces him to drink his blood. Well, yeah, this is the part that's coming up, right? Like he confronts him. So Deez chases after him. Oh, yeah, because he wants the picture. He wants to see him. I want to see your face. And so we get to see this. This is what's on the cover of or in all the posters of this movie. It's that version of the vampire, and he opens his mouth wide, and a giant center tooth kind of comes down. This is what you get. This is what's causing that giant puncture hole. Mm-hmm. It's different than the fangs you might expect. He's going to force Deez to, to drink his blood, and then Deez is going to hallucinate all these sort of vampire zombie things, and they're all going to have, like, normal fangs. They don't have a giant center fang. And he'll see the woman who used to work Dottie. for the tabloid, and a lot of other random folks... And he flips out, and he just goes ape shit on all these zombies, these zombie vampire things that he's seeing. Yeah, with like I wrote an down. I'm very confused. Yes. Who yes. are all of these people in the smoky black and white? Are these people he has taken pictures of in the past? That that would be interesting, that, wouldn't it? That, that had died. Yeah. Are these people he has interviewed? Are these people he knows? Like, but here's the problem: weren't these people? Already they were already dead? on the floor and they were already dead. These are the people that are already victims of Dwight Renfield's. Mm-hmm. And he is just hacking up their already dead bodies. So when the police come in, 
they think he's the one that killed all these people. Now, in the short story, it's kind of left up to interpretation to whether or not the cops think that he did it. Because when the cops come in, because he's just left there and he's just terrified. And the cops come in. He's just like, I'm press. I'm just here to take pictures. And they kind of leave it at that. They do, I mean, Stephen King doesn't really. He says something like the last line is something about as the cops talk to him but it's like it's not clear if they're going to uh-huh. think he did it right because there's probably no evidence that he did it aside from the fact right. that he's there but despite the fact that he might be getting out he is sort of like forever changed by this experience right yes yeah but this movie not- doesn't do that no, no. It's, it's death by cop he gets killed by the cops as Catherine is there because she got out of the closet i guess and, and she, she is, pretends that he is the guy that she's been following and he is the guy that she's here to write her story about because right. as she watches the vampire take off in his plane, she says, never publish what you believe, never believe what you publish. Uh-huh. So she has to put. That is so fucking stupid. <laughs> she publishes the version that makes the guy that was a dick to her a murderer, which he was not. And like a serial killing murderer who thought he was a vampire and all of that. That's the story that she publishes, and she does not tell the truth, which is that there is actually a murdering vampire, and he is still out there. It's not like you're afraid to write a story about a murdering vampire. You you would. So it's not like you're you're like protecting yourself in any way. You're not protecting your readers. It's just you're screwing over Rick D's and just trying to get on the cover and getting on the cover and with your the picture. Most, yeah, yeah, most money. That's all it is. But it is dumb. That it took, well, I guess if we just end it here, like, that's her turn. If we end it here, I can accuse the wrong person and I can act like it's all over with, even though it's not actually over with yet. Just so I can get my picture on on the cover. And that's like, all of a sudden, we just need to accept the fact that Catherine has become D's. Yes. Even though she's been resistant to it this entire goddamn movie. And been sort of like a Jiminy Cricket voice for him. Despite the fact that he is trying to turn her, she's Mm -hmm. been resistant to it at every turn. But when you get to be like, oh, wow, what a mind blowing ending. Then you just manipulate the characters into whatever you want to fucking make them. Mm -hmm. I really hated the design of the vampire. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. I thought it was really lame. He has a giant head to fit all those prosthetics and everything. It's I wrote a huge down, head. what the fuck is that hand when you first see the yeah. hand? And we see him as a human once at the very end as he's getting away. And again, Catherine is watching him get away. I hated his voice, too. And we didn't say this, but this, the movie also includes a part where Miguel Ferrer finds a picture of a woman that he was, like, in love with, I guess, when he turned into a vampire. So when he kills women, he tries to make them look like her. I guess. Which is why he had the woman do that stuff to her hair, which was not in the original story. Uh-huh. And I'm like, this is lame. And then at the very end, we see flashes of the vampire's face with the guy's face uh-huh. uh, that he was was back in the 1800s uh-huh. or whatever. And I'm just like, this is lame. Yeah. It's really lame. It's pretty lame. It's pretty lame. I think this story deserves to be written down to get the benefit of it. You won't often find me on the side of don't adapt it into a movie. But this is, I think, a story that benefits from having that sort of internal narration. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus, when you try to pull it off, it sounds so cheesy in here. Yes. 
and then you can end it with an ambiguous ending. You don't have to, it's not like you're trying to wrap up a whole entire movie. You're just ending a short story. It's okay. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot more you could do in short story form with this particular tale that you can't do in the form of a movie. And all of the concessions that they made, I feel like made it worse. So, I mean, from what you're telling me, at least. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? Oh, I'm sure it's low. I'm going to say it's... It's only six reviews. Oh. Well, let's say 33. 33 is exactly right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Out of those six reviews, uh, no consensus statement, a 36 on Metacritic. Uh-huh. Obviously, uh, well, not obviously, actually. It doesn't have a cinema score because I can't check cinema scores website it's down so do you think that 33 is overrated or underrated maybe a little overrated overrated all right what would you give it i'm gonna give it a 30 if the only reason it's getting that is because of the fact that it's stephen king and it's miguel ferrer and it's a vampire like all the things that i said that i like i wanted those are still there so yeah 30%. i mean i guess i have this tendency for equilibrium like if you're above 50 you need to give me reasons to like you and if you're below 50 you need to give me reasons to dislike you this doesn't have a lot of reasons to dislike it it's just not good oh god i keep thinking about his his villain boss doing his stupid maniacal oh, god, laugh yeah. and i think about the fucking throwing the plane ticket oh, up into god. the air and, and i just can't i can't go higher than 30 i will give it a 38 okay yeah i'm a little bit closer to 50 than you but i think it's yeah it's kind of definitely under 40 isn't it mhm uh, which is unfortunate because, uh, you know, how we love our Stephen King adaptations mm -hmm. and we're fine. You know, we can have fun with a cheesy Stephen King adaptation. Mm -hmm. And this, I feel like, isn't one of those. It made bad choices. Yes. But despite all that, thank you for recommending it, Aaron. Yes, thanks, Aaron. I'm glad I finally got to uh, watch it and Kelsey I'm, got to read it. Yeah, I got the excuse to read another short story of Stephen King. It's always a good thing. Yeah. So thank you very much for making that recommendation. Let's move right along to our next monster investigation, shall we, Kelsey? Our modern film 2014's Digging Up the Marrow, written and directed by Adam Green and starring Ray Wise, Adam Green, and Will Barrett. A lot of Wills, which is interesting because so there's Will Barrett, who's the cameraman. That's his real name, just like Adam Green is his real name. Uh, and Ray Wise plays a character called William Decker. There are a lot of Wills, which is why it's interesting. Will the Wise. That this movie was recommended to us by Will. Oh, how funny. So thank you, Will, for recommending Digging Up the Marrow. Are you Will Barrett? I don't know. Maybe. Did you ask us to review your movie? <laughs> You might have heard that name Adam Green before. We have definitely talked about him in the past. We've seen Frozen, but we haven't talked about it on the show. Hatchet is we his, did which we did definitely, definitely watch review. That on this. He's made several Hatchet movies. Uh, he also produced Grace, which we watched on this show. Oh, he he oh, produced it. He okay. produced it, yeah. And uh, he made Spiral, which has also been recommended, That's but we haven't watched. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember about Frozen, Kelsey? Oh. I remember not liking it. <laughs> I remember Kelsey screaming at the screen the entire fucking movie. 
Because it's okay. So the entire, if you don't know, the entire movie Frozen takes place on a chairlift at night. It's just bad decision after bad decision yes. after bad decision. And so you, they're just sitting there making bad decisions. Kelsey fucking hates it when characters make bad decisions. And they just continue to make bad decisions. <laughs> uh, so. And the whole, don't even get into the whole, they're freezing to death, man. They're not thinking clearly. That would have taken time. That is not the moment the chairlift stops working. And the moment the chairlift stops working, they make the dumbest decisions. Yes. So there's also, if you haven't seen it, Adam at Your Movie Sucks uh, released a shorter clipped version of his commentary because he's done some more research about it, about Frozen. Because <laughs> Adam Green is prone to saying that there are some scenes in Frozen where you can't see their breath. And in order to co- combat criticism, he says that's because they were so cold that their body temperature dropped and they weren't producing that hot air anymore. And so Adam, your movie sucks, had to like consult people like, you know, scientists who are particularly specialized in what cold does to the body. And they're like, no, that's absolute nonsense. You get hypothermia far before that would ever happen. Why wouldn't he just say, I can't control the weather? Simple as that. But no, that's not who Adam Green is. Adam Green is a, I don't know how to describe him. I don't particularly dislike him. I just feel like he is sort of that, you know, horror movie convention circuit kind of lapping up praise. There's nothing wrong with Because that's where he gets his attention. And like I say, I I don't particularly dislike him, but that is the type of person that he strikes me as. And that's kind of all his production company is. So that's why, you know, he's, he meets and talks to folks like Kane Hodder, who's in this movie. And put he puts them in his movies for the name recognition. Because people that go to these horror movie convention circuits, they'll know that name and that will get them to see the movie. And those are the type of people he wants to see the movie. And that's not the type of people that we are. And I, I recognize that there are a lot of people that do love to go to horror movie conventions and things like that. And I don't begrudge you that. I can't go to them. Oh, yeah. Because there would be Chucky fucking everywhere and mm-hmm. gremlins and leprechauns and like... <laughs> Kelsey would not be okay with any of that. Uh, but, but you know, where it's like it becomes their personality. You know what I mean? And that's not what I'm here for. I'm not watching a movie by Adam Green because that's the thing you do in this culture. You know what I mean? And that seems to be all he's into is producing things to be consumed by the culture because you're in the culture. And that's all he's about. That's the that's the impression that I get of him. And I don't like or dislike him, but I feel like I have him pegged. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That also might be the persona he's just projecting into the film. But no, that's how, what I see in, in various things. He will make comments about this. I have complaints about this movie. And then there are things that he says, because people will watch his uh, director's commentaries, and then they'll put the things they learn on IMDb and other such sources, and you read the things that are written about him, and they are constantly heaping praise on him for, let's be honest, a kind of mediocre director. He makes mediocre movies. That's what he does. I, I, 
I would argue that he makes bad movies. I do not, I did not like Hatchet. I did not like Frozen. And this was probably the best of the three. Probably. (laughs) If you're looking for good news, it's probably the best thing we've seen by him. Yes. But like. Even though people say it's just a direct ripoff of a movie I've never seen that I can't believe I've never seen. Which is? Nightbreed. Oh, yes. I've always Uh wanted to see it. Yeah, we've never seen Nightbreed. Sorry. Listen, I see this podcast is our journey through <laughs> horror and we're not going to take the same like we're not going to know 100 percent of everything at all times because this is us learning about it is us watching the shit for this show you know and so no we haven't seen nightbreed and so now i'm more intrigued than ever than ever <laughs> to see it actually but in any case he so he'll say things and then people just regurgitate it without thinking uncritically and it's Things like the first time I saw Ray Wise in this, I'm like, because Jesus, we haven't mentioned this. Let's just get this out of the way right now. Kelsey, what's the movie about? So the director, Adam Green, is approached by a random person and told that they can prove that monsters exist. And so he meets with him to make a documentary. Yeah. And so it's. I mean, I they they make a comment about this about how it's not found footage, but it's you know that's kind of the format that it's in, right? It's sort of a found. Oh, footage I have format. a problem with that because it's constantly going back and forth from being perfectly edited to found footage, and I'm just like, what is happening? Yeah. Am I seeing the footage that you edited today? And if I am, why did I see the parts where he was a jackass? Why am I seeing the parts yeah, where they we'll had to redo that, things? For sure, it's. It feels like just whatever pops into his head that he thinks would be funny makes it onto the screen. Yeah, I feel like this movie needed more time before they made it. Like, they needed to iron things out. Should this movie have had more people in it than just people that are used to working with Adam Green? (laughs) Yes. Like, you know, writer, director, star, all the same person. And I get it. That's part of, like, the gag. And I I don't have a problem with that per se. But maybe he shouldn't have directed this. Maybe you should have gotten somebody else to direct this one. But yeah, you can watch it with ads on Roku, Tubi, Hoopla, Plex. Uh, we watched it on Tubi. Uh, you could rent it for $3 on Amazon and Vudu or $4 on Apple, Google, YouTube, and Microsoft. Or you can buy it for $8 on Apple and Amazon and 13 on Google, YouTube, Vudu, and Microsoft. Kelsey, should people watch Digging Up the Marrow? Again, I think you can pass. I, I think that, the, like like I said, it's the best of the Woody's It is get, the best, the best Adam of what Green I've seen movie of his we've movies. seen so far, for sure. That doesn't mean it's a great movie. Right. So the point I was going to make is that you see Ray Wise, and you'll either recognize Ray Wise or you don't. He's a character actor. He was in Twin Peaks probably most famously, right? And you see him, and you're like, oh. Well, I'm immediately taken out of this. Yeah, this is just a movie. This is just a movie. Despite the fact that the that the movie doesn't really do anything else to make you feel that way. And so then I'm reading up on the movie and then I see people, again, posting uncritically. Oh, he knew that when he cast William Decker with Ray Wise, that it would be a people that some people it would be a person that some people might recognize and that it would take them out of the film. And I'm like, oh, well, he was right. 
And he's like, oh, well, I got that feedback even that it took them out, that it took them out of the film, you know, that it would take them out of the film. But he still tries to twist it as in, no, this is still the best decision because it's the decision that I made. So it's obviously the better decision. But he didn't say why. No, I. the reason is, is he wanted people to know that it was fake. He wanted people to feel like it was fake. And I think there's a difference between being aware that something's fake and being uninvested because you're, you're, the, your suspension of disbelief is shattered. There wasn't going to be a question at the end of the movie, like, oh my God, oh, did, did, I, really did happen? I really see but that's monsters? What he, that's, that's what he tries to... Gonna happen. That's what he tries to say. He tries to say that people would get upset if at the end of the movie they find out, oh, it's not all actually real. Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody thinks this is real. Nobody got mad when they found out Blair Witch wasn't real. Some people did. <laughs> but like that's not a thing anymore you made this in 2014 it's not 1999 anymore <laughs> nobody's gonna be fooled by this and that's a terrible reason to make a decision that you admitted yourself that you knew was gonna make people become less engaged with the thing you were creating but because you wanted to put ray wise in your movie who let me just Say, for the record, does an incredible job in this movie. I think. <laughs> He's great. He was fine. I think he was awesome. <laughs> it's not Ray Wise's problem. It's Adam Green's problem. And he tries to just, you know, rationalize it. And he puts that out there so then other people fight that fight for him. And I'm a little bit, a little bit hesitant just because, like, I know we get people coming back saying things, this thing and that thing and this thing. You know, you got that wrong. And it's like, well, no, we didn't. I don't think you understood what we were saying. So, like, I get that impulse. But there are there are moments where he is provably wrong about something and he still maintains the lie. And so I, how, how am I supposed to feel about this guy? You know, and now he's going to have this group of people that just love him unconditionally and will repeat anything he says that will then come to his defense. And it's like, how am I like, do I even care to argue with that? I don't know. I don't know why I'm going on and on and on about Adam Green. I think I feel like he's representative of something that I don't like. But I think he as a person is fine. I, he seems like an OK guy. Is that is that he's okay? Does that make actor. sense? I thought yeah, that was he's, funny. He's pretty good. I thought he was a decent actor. He's not that bad an actor in this movie. I mean, he was already in Holliston, I think is the name of that sitcom he had. I don't know We see Odorous Arungus in this movie from Guar, Dave Brocky. He was in that sitcom with him as sort of like this snuffleupagus type character that he would talk to. Literally the only reason I know what Guar is. Stay tuned. Holy shit. I forgot about that. <laughs> no, uh, it was because of um, Empire Records. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Where he gets swallowed into their video and then laughs yeah, about it. And you're just like, yeah. what just happened? I, mean, I think a lot of people know who Guar is specifically because they're put in things, movies and TV shows and talk shows, because they wear all this these prosthetics and stuff like that. But yeah, so like he's been in things before. He was the main character in his own sitcom. So, like, okay, I don't know. There's just a guy making movies, having fun with his friends. And, okay, I won't begrudge him that. Anyway, we've talked quite a lot about, philosophically, the way Chris feels about Adam Green. Mm -hmm. I don't even know him that well, like, as a person. I mean, you don't know as him a person. 
I mean, as a personality, you know what I mean? I'm not even that aware of him, but it's kind of just like you say, everything I've seen of him didn't like Frozen, didn't like Hatchet. And I'm a little upset that a movie as bad as Hatchet is has like three fucking sequels and people continue to lap it up. I did like that he made fun of himself. Yes, he does. He makes fun of himself. That in was this. cool. But again, I think it's, you know, oh, I would not laugh. do the same thing yeah. <laughs> twice. What would you call Hatchet 2? Right. Yes. <laughs> but then he made a Hatchet 3 and then he made a Victor Crowley. And it's like he just, I don't know. Hey, I don't have a problem with people making money. Like, no, you found something not that at all. People want to consume and it makes you money. Then I don't have a problem with that. I think it's personally, I think the movie is garbage. Right. But there are people that like it and there are people that want it. And hey, you found a niche. Good for you. Right. But that's my thing. I think people like it because it is something that is manufactured specifically for people that are the horror movie con type person. And it didn't have to be good. There is no expectation that a movie made for that audience has to be good. It just has to pander to them. And that's all it has to do. And I think you could say the same things about a lot of, uh, you know, the superhero universe. Um, anything that has a fandom, Harry Potter, Doctor Who, Sherlock Holmes, any of that stuff. And listen, we like a lot of that stuff, too. Not everything I just mentioned. I can't get into Doctor Who for the life of me. And retroactively, I've decided I don't like Sherlock Holmes. But, like, <laughs> the Benedict Cumberbatch version. You know what? <laughs> You're the reason I watched it. I know. You're the reason I fell in love with Benedict Cumberbatch. Totally. So you can shove that up your ass. <laughs> I just feel like as it goes on, it reveals itself more and more to be something that's not that great. It's that sort of Stephen Moffat mentality of you just have to create a thing that's pandering and people will lap it up, whether it's good or bad. And Sherlock got fucking bad by the end of the fourth season like really legitimately terrible like ruin retroactively the entire show bad and you know for a lot of people it didn't matter because it was just more the thing that they can ship people with you know what i mean like it's that sort of thing so that's what this feels like to me and it's an all right movie that i can't find a reason to dislike but i have zero reason to like and I don't know why anybody else would. Is that too rough? Is that Jesus. too harsh? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know why I get worked up over stuff like this. Very worked up. Anyway. So no, people shouldn't watch it? I would say no. <laughs> well, despite all that, thank you for recommending this movie. Like I say, it is the best thing that we've seen from this director. Just not something that I would necessarily recommend that our audience watch. Mm -hmm. You could take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2014's Digging Up the Marrow. In every society, there are the deviants, the ones who are pure evil. We've been shooting this documentary. I'd love to roll. Take one. 100 yards beneath the surface of the earth exists a metropolis that mirrors ours in very many respects. I call it the marrow. William Decker claims that he's found monsters. I see their shapes, 
moving through the woods. Is he crazy? Um, is he is he mentally ill? Is it all a hoax? You believe this? You're a believer. What if this guy's conspiracy theories are all true? Please don't get hurt. It's right up there, the address to the marrow. Okay, do you, do you see anything? Oh God, he's right here in front of us now. I, I, I don't see it. Turn, turn it on. Turn no. on the light. No, 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 no. Turn on the light. If it's here, I want to no, see it. Turn off that light. Turn no. on the light. You're too blind to see what's going on around you. What are you going to see? You're going to see. Are you kidding me? You should just go. I warned you. I warned you some of them were dangerous. Mr. Decker. Just tell me the truth about one single thing. They know we found them. Stay away. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does digging up the marrow begin? Actually, very well. It begins uh-huh. with just interviewing what seems to be real people at, like, horror yeah. conventions. I would bet that some of these are real, actual interviews. That would be cool Yeah, if they were. Uh, we have some minor celebrities and some just people at the con. There's Steve Agee, comedian, actor, Lloyd Kaufman, you know, Famous producer, director, trauma videos, right? Tony Todd, the Candyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lead and, singer of Guar. Yeah, Dave Brocky. This is apparently his last filmed appearance before he died. I think it was a heroin overdose. And it also put the sitcom, that Holliston sitcom that he was in with Adam Green on hold. And they, for a long time, weren't going to come back to it. I think recently they said that they were, but nothing's happened yet. Mm. But anyway... So, yeah, that's a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. But then what? But so they're all just talking about why they love monsters. And I think that it is important to say monsters. This is not just, oh, I love horror movies. Specifically, it's it's creatures. Yes, uh uh-huh. And that is important. And, you know, they're all explaining why they love monsters so much. And, you know, they say, you know, they exist where we can't see them. There's this terrifying idea that anywhere in the shadows there could be a monster and you just don't know metaphysically metaphorically i love that as just like a thought of what it means to the collective subconscious that we have monsters in our media and things like that this movie is like no what if it was literal (laughs) and then we are introduced to the director Yeah, Adam Green. Yes, as we have said, real-life director, Frozen, Hatchet, Spiral, which we have not seen, but has also been recommended Mm -hmm. to us. Um, He produced Grace, which we watched on the show. We mentioned all this earlier, yeah. Yeah, and he's being interviewed by the documentary, and I thought it was an interesting way to introduce him, because it's not really explained to you at first, that, like, he's going to be your main character. I at first thought, oh, another interview with a horror director. Uh, Oh, really? Okay. That's what I thought was going on. Uh And then... I had advanced knowledge. Yeah, I did Uh not. And then you find out that, no, he's going to be the guy to take you on this journey. I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. Okay. And I thought he did a very decent job at acting here. And I Mm -hmm. thought that he felt... Real And I yes. liked that he didn't always seem like a good person. I thought that there were times when he seemed like a jackass. And that, but what irked me about that. Mm-hmm. What would that tell you, Kelsey? 
this is a movie because he wouldn't allow himself to look like right. that in a real documentary. You would always make yourself look yeah. as polished and professional as there possible. There are moments that are easy to edit out and yes. that would otherwise be edited out unless you specifically wanted to show this particular thing. And this particular thing is that he's a diva or he's rude or he he's a fool or something like that that you would want to edit out if you were making this movie. But they want this to be real. Well, they want it to be funny, and they want him to be, yeah, a, a more complex character. Yes. These are all good things. These are good things for a movie. Yes. It, <laughs> it does sort of pick away at your conceit, mm-hmm. right? The only thing I could think of that would maintain the conceit is that, oh, well, he didn't make this movie. Would they be brave enough to kill off the character of Adam Green by the end of this movie and somebody else is making it? (laughs) Unfortunately, the answer is no. Right. So, yeah, okay, there are a lot of holes in this conceit. And the fact that they have Ray Wise as, like, the main subject doesn't help. We talked about that earlier. But I thought this was a believable thing to happen. And then I found out. Isn't this based on kind of something that really happened? And they, but like it was a joke. But like they got mail from a fan that said that they could prove that monsters were real. I don't know. Oh, I thought I read that, but it was it was obviously it wasn't real. Yeah, nothing but, like, came it of joke. it. But he's like, hey, but what if? What if? Yeah, that, that would be a great idea. Yeah, you know what? Maybe you're right. I think I did read something about that. And I think that is a very believable thing to happen. Uh-huh. I can imagine a fan doing that as a joke. I can also imagine a person really doing that. Uh-huh. Um, and they don't need to engage with that person to be like, oh, you know what? What if we play this out a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like that safety not guaranteed. Yeah. You know, in real life, there's this ad that says, hey, I need somebody to come time travel with me. Safety not guaranteed. And people are like, okay, what if this is like a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a fun idea. His wife is just like, you guys are idiots. Uh Uh-huh. His ex-wife now, by the way. (laughs) Oh, have we said like a guy claims that he knows where monsters are? Yeah, this is Ray Wise's character, William Decker. Okay, so we are introduced to this guy. He is a 61-year-old retired police detective who lives in Chatsworth, California, and has for the past four years. Now, there is going to be all kinds of controversy as to who this guy really is. We never really get confirmation. Was he an actual police detective? We don't know. Yeah, okay, so this movie is going to do a couple things where it's going to drop mysteries, and then it's not going to answer them. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so they think it's best that that there's some there's some mystery and wonder about it and things that we don't answer. But it's to the point and remember who's talking here. I'm the one that's more receptive to there just not being answers to things. It just feels in particular like in this case that's that was just the lazy move. That it wasn't, it didn't make it more intriguing. It just made it, oh, this is a thing that we can put in. It makes it mysterious and we never have to explain it. That just feels like a really lazy way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. As opposed to something that's like, oh, but it could have been this way. It could have been that way. And it's fun to think about. It's not fun to think about these questions. Did he work for the police department or didn't he? <laughs> was he just lying? And if he was, why? Like <laughs> To make himself seem more credible. I, I guess they're not. it's not fun things to think about, you know, but this movie makes you because it doesn't have an actual explanation. And it plays that off like it's... 
you know, oh, wouldn't isn't it fun to think about? Do you want these things answered? Like, well, these things, these things in particular, yes, I do. But aside from if that really did happen, there is a big element of little monsters going on here. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's absolutely the idea of little monsters, but at an even more heightened level. Mm-hmm. So... There is the whole idea of the marrow is it's that the marrow of the earth is where these people live. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're going to find out that this guy has a personal connection to the marrow. Why the fuck is he calling this place the marrow? It's the marrow of the earth. Right. But it's like, it's not, <laughs> first of all. But second of all, like it, it very intentionally sounds creepy. Yes, absolutely. 100%. This guy, he's the one who named it. Why did he name it the Marrow? What especially bothered me about this character, we're going to get all kinds of backstory. He's going to eventually tell him that the reason that he first found out about this is because when he was a kid, he like lived near the woods and he was like all by himself, kind of. Yeah, uh-huh. So he would spend a lot of time out there and he just happened to kind of see them one mm-hmm. day and he followed them. And he will explain that from there, he came to believe that there was this whole like network of a world underground. Yeah, it mirrors ours and they, they pay taxes, they get married, they hold down jobs, but it's all under the world. And who are, who are they? We haven't explained who they are yet. So. They are not actual monsters. They are people born with deformities. But then later we're going to see them and they are monsters. Yeah, I think that's because this comes from a long line of this being a thing for a very long time. So they have kids and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But the problem is, is that this entire movie is predicated on a single question. Hey, you know how sometimes people are born with birth defects and then you don't see them that much as adults? Where do they go? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. If you gave a rat's ass about any of them. Yeah. In many cases, they die. Mm -hmm. In many cases, they can't go out. They're incapacitated or their deformity is so extreme that it makes it very uncomfortable to go out and about. They have to be cared for at all times. Like, this is, depending on what your deformity is, the reason you don't see some of these people is, like, there are real stories there, and there are real lives, and there are real deaths involved there. And his response to the question, where do they go, is not to actually think about the real people there. Instead, it's to turn to, oh, what if they created a monster society? And yeah, it's, like, it's, mm. yeah, it's kind of, it's very messed up. Yeah. But then again, apparently that's also what Nightbreed is. I'd like to see Nightbreed. Yeah, uh-huh. I, we'll see if we have the same complaint. I don't know. Never seen it. But you're right. It is a little messed up when you think about it about that way. It just shows a lack of consideration and compassion. Yes. For real people who are just born that way. But what we're also going to find out, and this bothered me. So you already have this backstory that he found out about them when he was a kid. Then he grows up to be an adult and just happens to have a kid that's so deformed he needs to go and live down there. More lack of questions. He mentioned a son. I think we can assume that his son went He's down there. keeping one chained up and feeding it and then releases it into the Is city. that what happened? Because 
why is he going to the hole all the time to feed his kid if he has his kid chained up in a room? He had him chained up. He was keeping him there. Then he let him, I think he released him. Right, but that closet is chained up all the time. We see it constantly. Because he never cleaned it up. Yeah, I know. There is there is that. What the fuck is that about? Uh I just decided never to clean it. Well, it's not his house. Okay, we're talking about a lot of stuff here. Um, yeah, he has a chained up room in his house that Adam is very curious about and is very rude about directly. Mm-hmm. And he never wants to reveal what's in it. We will find out at the end that there are chains and a bunch of newspaper and piles of shit. And we can assume that's where he was keeping something locked up. And I guess maybe it's his son because he mentions he has a son once. And then when Adam pounces on it, he changes the subject and pretends like he doesn't hear the question, right? Mm-hmm. And then he never provides new information about his son, ever, ever, ever. So what do we actually know? We know that when he goes to feed something down there, he, like, pets it and cries. Mm-hmm. But is it down there or is it locked in his closet? And at what point does the move happen? Like, that's my problem, is it's a bunch of questions that have no answers in a way that's not interesting to think about. It's just a logistical nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, but all of that is revealed way later. When he first meets him, mm-hmm. first of all, yes, it was jarring. I was like, you picked a famous actor? Right. Fucking really? Uh-huh. Like, I, pick a, a nobody, man. Yeah, I think this was a bad call. I understand why. I could understand in the production offices having this debate, what should we do, and making a call. And no, no decision is going to be perfect. There's going to be pl- upsides and downsides to whichever direction you go. I think the downsides to casting an unknown actor are so fucking minuscule (laughs) that you shouldn't care about them. Oh, people are upset at the end that it turns out it's not real. That's on them. And do you care if they're the ones that are upset with you? Right. Or you could make a better, more uh, authentic authentic feeling feeling movie that really does grab people. Right. As opposed to admitting that your objective is to ensure that you don't grab them from act one. (laughs) What? (laughs) Terrible decision. Yeah. Just immediately, I was like, oh man, really? And again, Ray Wise is not the problem. He does a great job in this movie. Yeah, he does. So it was the decision to hire him. So he's interviewing him. Now, the director is not making it He's not being subtle about the fact that he does not believe him. He is very obviously jabbing yeah, at this uh-huh. guy. And you get a lot of reaction shots that, again, are a bit much. Right. So, like, for example, he's talking about when he was a kid and he says, I had such an overactive imagination. And the director goes, I bet. And the guy goes, you bet. Like, yeah. <laughs> like fuck you, you know? Like, I had a hell of an imagination. I bet. You bet. Yeah. Um, yeah, you bet. Are you just making a movie to make fun of me right now? You know? And uh-huh. that's how I would feel, too. And that's not how you would want your subject to feel. Right. I. The, that's another thing that makes it a little bit inauthentic is that you don't want to antagonize somebody that is only material for you because they decide they want to be there. Why would you antagonize that person? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. It makes me uncomfortable. But that's not the problem is that it's also a little bit unbelievable. Mm-hmm. What kind of filmmaker would do that? Oh, because it's a comedy. 
It's like, okay, well, now, again. It's a movie. It's a movie. Why are you? Yeah, anyway. So make it a A movie. movie. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Okay, so they he's going to take them to the marrow, and it is in this place that's not too far away from a cemetery. Yeah. And they do. They make jokes about the fact that, like, why would they pick, you know, like, uh-huh. why would they be so clo- like, close? But the point of being close is actually they give a reason for it. First of all, he tells them they sometimes come out into society. Yeah. There's a, there's special times of year. And so they could just be all all around us at any time then, is what you're saying. Well, not any time, no. Uh, uh, there are certain times of the year that it's more conducive for them to be around. For, like, for instance, Halloween. One of the few times they do fit in. And, he, and he's like, you know, at one point he says they, always, they go near IHOPs. Yeah. Uh, and well, okay. So it's specifically the entrances and exits that move around. And when they think they're compromised, they close it and then they open a new one. And he's explaining some of the other places where those exits appear. And one of them is behind the IHOP. Because they love pancakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought That's that funny. was, yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> I thought that was real. Um, why would they have a marrow entrance where there's an IHOP? They like pancakes. Pancakes? Everybody loves pancakes. But so when they get out of the car and they're walking through this, you know, public park, they're like, wait a minute, the sign says it closes at dusk, man. Uh Are we going to get in trouble? And he's like, no, I come out here all the time. It's fine. And the next shot, they're getting stopped by police. uh And I thought that was well done. I thought that was funny. And then when the cop leaves, he's like, hey, did you know that guy was going to stop us? And he goes, yeah, he, he's bothered me dozens of times <laughs> right after he told them it's uh-huh. totally, totally fine. fine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like just, you know, pointing out that this guy is a liar and he is a big liar. He lies a lot about a lot of stuff, which then makes you a question. What can I believe him about? And that's the problem with unreliable narrators. But we've talked about that before. Yeah, and he's unreliable in a really weird way. What does he gain? I want you to think about as we talk about the rest of this movie. What does Decker gain from going public with this? Number one. Number two, what does he gain by lying about why he's going public and the details of what it actually is? And three, how do those two things conflict? If he's lying to protect his son, that's why he's lying. Then why is he exposing this and going public in the first place? If it has the potential to hurt his son. Yeah. If it has the potential to help his son, then why would he lie about his son? Yeah. So what's, what is it? That's um, a really good point. What is his motivation? What is his motivation to behave the way he does? Uh, well, you know, it just it's creepy for the movie. Well, that's not a good enough answer. I mean, if he didn't have a son... It would be obvious he wants people to believe him. Uh-huh. You know? I know something and I want people to believe it. It's the guy from Up. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like yeah, uh-huh, totally, yeah. I don't know his name. But because of his son, that adds this whole extra layer of you're absolutely right. Why would he want everyone to know about it? Yep. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. But so when they're there, he tells them, you know, you've got to do as I say. You've got to be quiet. You've got to be dark. Like, there can't be any lights on. Like, all these things. Because the second they get scared, they close up and they move shop. And it, another sort of uncomfortable thing is they 
consistently and regularly disregard his wishes about everything. Well, because they don't believe him. Right, but, like, what does it hurt to follow the rules? I've always said that. I've always said that. Like, every time there's a Ouija board uh-huh. and all that shit, it's just like, why do people fuck around? Right, I feel like they fuck around because they're scared of it. <laughs> but I don't know why these guys are fucking around. Like, somewhere deep inside, you're like, I don't want to buy into this because then, it, you know, what if it is real? So I need to, like, broadcast, advertise the fact that I don't believe it because that prevents me from getting creeped out by it. Well, that pisses me off because, totally. in my opinion... What does it hurt? If you're going to prove that it isn't real, then you need to take it seriously. Right, exactly. If it is real and you don't take it seriously, according to the people who believe it's real, it won't happen. Yeah. God damn it! And that's kind of the same thing that's going on here. If you don't respect what I'm telling you, we're going to lose sight of them. Yeah. And it's, I really love that he keeps telling them that it's there, it's there, it's there, and they just don't see it. Yeah. And that makes them not believe That was really interesting. I thought that was good. But then again, what was he seeing there? Well, the point, I mean. We'll find out later that the monsters are real, so what is he seeing there? We don't know. But he's being absolutely truthful because... Maybe we're not doing a good job of explaining. They're sitting there watching and they're hoping to see something. And he keeps telling them, oh, it's right there. Mm-hmm. And they look. Also talking so loudly that if he is there, it could definitely hear them. Absolutely. Constantly they do that. 100%. Even though the main. The, right. He's the, the guy one telling them they got to be tells quiet. them to shut up. They're, all the way throughout this entire movie, it's like, man, we got to be careful that we don't fuck this up. Because if they think they've been discovered, they'll move it. And we don't want them to move it because we want to study them and, and reveal them, right? And so they're constantly being loud, yelling at each other. Even Decker, too. Yes. When he's pointing out that they're there, he talks at a regular volume. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, God, it's just... Try at least a little bit to suck me into this. Mm-hmm. But so he points and they don't see anything. Mm-hmm. And I love that because it, it makes the audience question, is yeah. this real? Totally. And... I gotta say, the first time okay. you see one... So, we're passing up something that's really important. Oh, okay. It's night two that they see one for the first time, right? So, he argues that they don't want to use night vision. Oh, God. It's so dumb. Right. And Decker is saying no lights, because he, you know, maybe, ah, he doesn't want them to realize that there's nobody there. He counts on the dark. To sort of continue his lie, right? It's sort of what their theory is. So why wouldn't he object to the night vision when the cameraman, Will, mentions, I have night vision. He doesn't object to the night vision. Adam says, I don't like the way it looks all washed out. and blur- Oh, no, it's the other way around. It's the cameraman. Adam mentions it and Will says, I don't like the way it looks. It's all washed out and green or whatever. And Adam's like, well, I'd rather have that than nothing. Yeah. Listen, I mean, if I don't get any lights out here, I'm not going to be able to see anything. You can't see anything? Not really. I mean, I can see, like, three feet in front of me, but that's it. What what about if you use night vision? Well, I mean, we could use night vision, but, I mean, I hate it. I think it makes everything just kind of look like green crap. Okay, well, I'd rather it look like... What? Quiet. Turn off that light. Silence. What? All right. Right straight ahead. Look. Where? 
You say will. No, I can't see shit. Well, let your eyes adjust for a second, and you'll see it. It's right there, right in front of us. What? There's nothing. No, look, 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 look. One of them is just moving very slowly over to the right. See? Will, turn on the camera light. No, don't, don't, don't you turn on that light. Listen, don't turn on the camera light. I don't have a shot. <sighs> okay, he's gone. But then when they might like actually run into somebody, he doesn't turn on the night vision. Mm-hmm. He eventually they argue about turning on the light and then he turns on the light and we see something for the first time. And it made me scream. Yeah, she screamed. Because there was nothing there. Yeah, like they and absolutely it just is when you. they turn the light on totally. <laughs> it worked. It was fun. And it was a it was a cool looking design. Yes. It was a little over the top, but in a way that holy shit, if that was real, how <laughs> terrifying would that be? You know, it was very, very interesting that way. But this is night two now. And they have a night vision camera set up this time. And it's like, oh, Will gave into it. He's going to, because they thought they would have seen something if they had night vision, but they didn't see anything night one. So they have this night vision camera set up. They show it to us. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now they do have night vision set up. And then we never see footage from that again. Even though this is the night where they see th- where they see something, we never see the actual night vision footage. We never see them try to get night vision footage ever, 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 ever again. And it doesn't make any sense why these characters wouldn't do it. It is just because that would make telling the story the way they want to tell it more difficult. Hmm. And their contrived reason was, well, I don't like the way it looks. And then after that, they show that they set up one of the cameras. We see that footage and then never again. It's annoying when they do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's just straight unbelievable. And it only leads me to the conclusion that it's because the filmmakers like knew they never had any intention to use night vision because they couldn't make it look good. Mm-hmm. So then find a reason not to have it. Don't show me you have it and then never show me what it sees. <laughs> That's really annoying. They do have a habit of that, by the way. After you see it for the first time, they never show it ever again. We see this first monster real close up. We never see it ever. And they will show several people this footage, including Kane Hodder. And they will never show us what they're looking at. And it's like, why not? You're the filmmaker. The whole point of this film is to show that these monsters exist. Mm -hmm. Why are we not freeze framing on this and talking about it? Mm -hmm. Well, because the filmmakers of this movie know the Jaws rule about if you show too much, it becomes less scary, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not going to do it. I, I, even but if you're the documentary filmmaker... Yeah, it's really... it's it's They all just keep thinking the audience won't care. And that bothers me. Right. But even if you want to like play with the whole, like, well, we can't show it to the audience, even that, when they show it to Kane Hodder, they don't just pause it for him. They keep rewinding it and just showing him the uh-huh. really quick clip. He's like, and well, I'm I don't like, know what I saw there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you, but if this were real, yeah. you would put it on the frame. You could go frame I'm, by I'm frame. so confused. Yes. It they do was a piss not well poor done. job. Of and they just that. expected me to be dumb and not think about that. It's weird. During some of the other interviews that they do with this guy, he shows some pictures that he has drawn or had commissioned. Yeah. Of people. And 
one of them looks a lot like Pumpkinhead, or not Pumpkinhead, but the um the kid from uh, Trick or Treat. Sam. Sam looks a lot like him. He says his name is Vance, and when the director asks him why, well, because that's the name I wanted to call him. Yeah. Like now this one here, I call Vance. 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 Yes. You see, with a sack over his head, face painted on it. Why Vance? Because that's what I wanted to call him. I do like that this guy is a weirdo. Yes. I do like that he is also very strange and, like, creepy sometimes. Yeah. Kind of like Creep, although I know you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet, specifically because I know we'll eventually watch it for this show. But so he explains this guy, this Vance character, who, who looks like Sam from Trick or Treat, but bigger. He leads the rejects of this world to the to their place. Uh-huh. So the way he talks about it, it's like this haven for people with deformities. Uh-huh. And that these are just regular old folks, but uh, society sucks and won't accept them. Yeah. Okay? That's how he describes it. But that is not what's actually going on. Uh, and later, the director will confront him about it and be like, hey... You didn't tell me that these people were dangerous. You didn't tell me that these mm-hmm. people were evil. And he goes, well, it's just like the regular world. Uh-huh. There's some good and there's some bad. But from what we're shown, it's pretty much all bad. Yeah. Which is also fucked up. Mm-hmm. Saying that people, just regular people with deformities, end up being bad people. That's not a good thing to say. Right. But still, like, it is fair to say... Some are good, some yeah, are bad. Yeah, some are bad. But show the good ones? Right. In this case, all of them are bad. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. Another example of the director just kind of being a dick, although I understand why in this moment. Mm-hmm. So the director, he he drops the whole, like, oh, my son drew this one. And the director won't let it go. And the guy just keeps talking over him, keeps talking over him, pretending he's not hearing him. Yeah. I guess that's kind of why the director turns into a real dick. He just starts talking to his filmmaker and pretty much ignores what the guy's saying after a while. Like, he starts talking to him. He's like, hey, you remember that song? What was that song? And the guy's like, hey, asshole, I'm telling you my story about Uh monsters and you're not listening to me. And like... Yeah, he looks like a dick, but then then again, so was the other guy. So, you know, but would you keep that in your documentary? Right. I do appreciate that the director, when he's talking to the guy, he has kind of my mentality about it because the, the guy accuses him of not believing. He's like, hey, wait a minute. Do you not believe me? And the guy goes, I want to believe. Yeah. So. Uh-huh desperately badly I want this to be real something he's wanted since he was a little kid but I don't believe you okay yeah so mm, a lot of what matters when creating stakes is that there needs to be potential and realized consequences in order for there to be stakes right it has to matter that something happens or doesn't happen otherwise you don't care that something happens or doesn't happen right So, what are the stakes for Adam here? Well, he's becoming so obsessed that he is falling behind in his duties. He is not producing his show show. like he needs to be. It is 
aggravating his wife. It is putting strain on his marriage and on the marriage of his cameraman and co-producer. Well, also, it's just putting all the people who work on that show in jeopardy. Oh, work on the documentary? No, on the TV show that he's not Oh, yeah, doing. their jobs. Their he's jobs putting in jeopardy. all of their yes. jobs in jeopardy. For sure. Like, it's to the point where it's like, well, it's two months before we start production and we don't even have a script. Like, oh, I'll write it, I promise, right? They never talk about it again after that. Like, okay, did he get the script or didn't he? Okay, so that doesn't actually matter because it's not worth telling us, right? Yeah. But also, putting a strain on his marriage, putting a strain on his ability to write his show... They do not anywhere in this movie give us any reason to believe that this might put a strain on anything. If this is taking every waking moment of their lives, why aren't we seeing the results of that in this movie? What are they doing all day? Are they suggesting that they're doing all the editing? Because if they are, what are you editing out? (laughs) Right. But like, my point is, is what is the work supposed to be? If I don't believe that there would actually be these sorts of consequences from the actions that we see on screen, I I don't believe the consequences, then I can't buy into the stakes. And if I can't buy into the stakes, then it doesn't fucking matter whether one thing or another happens. I'm just not invested. And it's unbelievable the stakes that they try to put in this movie. And it seems very obvious that it's like, well, what if it was putting a strain on his personal and professional life? Okay, how would that manifest? Well, he's not getting things done. And uh, his wife wants him to spend more time with her and doesn't like that he spends so much time working on the... Okay, why did he have to record it in the middle of the night? Well, because he's doing so much stuff. Okay, what is he doing? Well, you know, they're filming a lot of stuff and they're editing that stuff. Okay, what's the product of that work? Like, I'm not seeing any of that in the movie. So it's hard for me to buy into the stakes. It's not just a thing where it's like, well, it's implied. Yeah, it's implied. It's also very lazily implied. I do like some of the humor, though. Yeah. When they're talking to Kane Hodder, he's not he's understanding funny. that it really happened. No, yeah. They, a lot of people struggle to understand that this really happened. <laughs> he's like, found footage, man. That's old. And he's like, no, it's not found footage. It's Footage footage. <laughs> Which is funny, because that's kind of what this is. It's just footage. It's not found footage, right? <laughs> but eventually it sort of devolves into found footage. Yeah, and then, like, we get a two weeks later. Yeah, what did he do during those two weeks? Yeah, what was getting done? That was putting a strain on his marriage. Mm-hmm. Is it just he's a bad husband and makes bad choices about when he spends time with his wife and when <laughs> he works on his on his work? Is the stuff not getting written because he's just lazy and doesn't want to write it? Then those aren't real consequences for what the scenario is. So after they turn the light on and they get that guy on screen, at first the guy says, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to work with you anymore if you're not going to do what I tell you to do. But then two weeks later, he decides to go back to it. And again, we're not sure on what his motivation is. I don't. Mm -hmm. Because now I haven't addressed this. You might be wondering, why doesn't anyone just... Go down there. And yeah, Yeah. I wondered that from the moment they set eyes on it. I was like, if that's the entrance, why don't we just go down there? There are a lot of scenarios that are set up like that, you know, questions that are theoretically answered by the just the rote answer response of they don't want to blow their cover. They don't want the people down there to know that their entrance has been compromised. Otherwise, they'll move it. 
if you go down there and you get evidence that right. it's there. It doesn't matter that, if they, yeah. That, that's what you needed to do, right? Right, that's like, why you didn't want them to move it. It's because you needed the evidence. If you just go down there, you get the evidence. Really? I'm so confused. Well, it's because they have a, there's a fucking hole in a cemetery. <laughs> and you notice they never shoot it from a high angle. <laughs> because there is a bottom not that far down. And they w- didn't even have the production ability to dig a hole that's deep enough to be intimidating and make a little curve off to where you don't see where it goes. Because that's the way he describes it. But if he can see it from above the hole, why can't the camera? They never bring the camera close enough. Because it's just a shitty little hole in the ground. And they didn't put the effort in to just show us. And it's unbelievable that these filmmakers wouldn't fucking point the camera down the hole. Mm-hmm. It is just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It just points out that this is a cheaply made production. And it may be what it is, just you having fun with your friends, and that's fine. I don't begrudge you that. That doesn't a good movie make. (laughs) But so they're setting up cameras all around where the hole is. And it's kind of funny. The director's like, dude, I don't understand why you never thought to do this. And he goes, I did. It didn't work. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. You did set up cameras, but you didn't get any footage, but now they will? I am confused. Oh, it sounds creepy, but it never pays off, like lots of things in this movie. When they go to interview him again, he puts on music, and they're like, "Uh, I think it'd be better if there wasn't music. And he goes, it's my favorite favorite tune. tune. And he goes, who is it? And he goes, I don't know. And you're just like, what? Which is kind of a funny interaction, but it's nonsense, and it makes no sense why it would happen. weirdo. Yeah. Actually, I think it would be better if we didn't have the music while we're actually recording the interview, because the music makes it hard to edit with. It's my favorite tune. Who, who is this? I don't know. Uh-huh. It's almost like they wanted him to be uh, from Twin Peaks. Right, yes, yes. They're, I, I think for sure they're feeding into the Twin Peaksiness of his character. This is when he will show them the first example of an evil one of these things. And that's when they're going to be like, hey, wait a minute, you never said they were evil. And he's like, some of them are. And I I know that she, Brella, she killed this guy. I know it. And it's like, what the fuck? Why are you okay with that? And why do you want to do more inspection of these people if you know they're murderers? Yeah. I'm so confused. Can you describe Brella for me, Kelsey? So when you first see the picture, you, your your gaze is directed at the umbrella, which is a mistake. You're supposed to look at under the umbrella. The big umbrella has like giant eyes on eyes. it. And you think that, oh, is she like an umbrella person? And then you look under the umbrella and you see no. Uh-huh. She's trying to get you to look up there because underneath she's this giant, disgusting mass, which uh-huh. is why the guy is like, you're telling me she had sex with somebody? And he's like, yeah, drunk kid. And he's like, wait, but why would anyone want to have sex with her? And he's like, he was drunk. Is that Ray Wise? (laughs) Huh? Is that Ray Wise? Uh, No, because that's the kid who ends up dead. Yeah. Uh, Oh, God. So we'll talk about that. But I I feel like they they had something with the the designs of these monsters. They made them very comic booky. The art is gorgeous, but it is very, very stylized. Like, oh, you're you're creating a fun book of monsters, well, basically. Well, remember, he had them... Professionally done, yes. Professionally no. done. And the people that did it, if this were real, uh-huh. would think he's having them just create his concept. Sure. 
I love that idea, and I feel like they should have leaned a little bit harder into it, especially if they wanted to make this comedic. They should have just gone all in. Uh, but no, they try for it to be creepy and serious at the same time. And it's like, no, just make it a comedy. Just make it a comedy. I loved these designs, and half of the monsters that you see are wonderful that you actually see on camera. But probably the most prominent one looks fucking ridiculous. The little, like, toe monster? Or you no, I love the, the toe monster. Oh, you do? You mean the Spider-Man guy? Spider-Man guy. Looks ridiculous. Yeah. It looks like, like somebody said, it, it, somebody is standing behind him blowing into a hose, which extends these sort of, like, giant birthday, you know, blower things that act as arms. And it's like, what is this? How are these birth defects? What are you talking about? These are mutant people. Monsters, these are yes. these are they've been exposed to radioactive waves and shit like that to give them comic book powers. Like that's what they are. Why didn't you lean the fuck into that? Lean into it. Give us more. Make it more fun. But no, you tried to be serious and spooky and creepy and scary. That's not what you should have done. Again, you made the wrong decision in my mind. Did they get little Bigfoot on screen? Is that what happened? Is that the one with the thing on its head? I don't remember. Oh my god, that was so cool. But for some reason, they have like discovered one together. And the guy's like, I'm going to name it because he always names the species. He calls them species, by the way. Yeah. And he uh -huh. says that he's seen at least 40. Uh, and this is the newest one. And he's all excited to name it. And he calls it Little Bigfoot. And I forget what the director's op opinion is. He wants it to be called, like, I don't remember what the word is. He Something cooler. Like. like, you could pick any name and you pick Little Bigfoot. I'm going to call him Little Bigfoot. Little, little Bigfoot? Really? Yeah, he looks like a Bigfoot, doesn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if Bigfoot was a real thing and if anyone knew and seen it. I mean, no, but what about, what about something more original? You know, like what about um, Derringer? Do you want to name it? No, you... you, you All know. right, then. Little Bigfoot. New species. But he says that, and the guy's like, do you want to name it? And he's like, no, I don't want to name <laughs> it. It's pretty funny. Like, yeah. those interactions are good. Again, in a comedy, you could have ramped those interactions up. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have made it more Christopher Guest-like. Like, imagine a Christopher Guest horror mockumentary. How much fun that would be. I got what I wanted out of the, the straight, into-camera, completely committed, <laughs> fake documentary horror movie in, was it Lake Bodum? Mm -hmm. I think that's the one. There are a lot. Now, what I want is Christopher Guest comedy fake documentary, but horror. Please give me. Give me. I mean, you kind of have that with what we do in the shadows. That's yes. what we do in the shadows. Yes. Okay, I got it. I got that too. I'm happy. <laughs> so they're going to find on those cameras, they're going to find a guy coming out of the marrow, but like several hours after, four hours after yeah. they've put the cameras up. And a lot of people are like, nah, man, he hired that guy. And they're like, really? To just sit in the grave for to, hours? To just crawl away? And that's it? Uh-huh. Like, I'm gonna call bullshit. Uh-huh. But it doesn't matter, because the director has to go off on his month-long horror convention that he has to do for, uh -huh. for work. And while there, he's talking to these directors. And I was like, hey, I know those names. Yeah, okay, so he's talking to Tom Holland, writer and director of... Several things. Not Spider-Man. 
No, not Spider-Man's Tom Holland. This is the guy that wrote Fright Night and Child's Play. That's uh, the first guy he's talking to? Yes, and Psycho 2. So a lot of good horror movies. Yeah, well, The Langoliers. So a lot of good horror movies. <laughs> Which is funny. So he wrote and directed a lot of these movies. So yes, he is. he's sort of a standout in the industry. He's a name in the industry. And he also brings over Mick Garris, who I mentioned before. Who's that? He's another... He's famous for being a, a Stephen King adapter. Ah. He did The Stand oh, yes. and The Shining. Mm-hmm. So he's also famous for, for adapting Stephen oh, King. Oh, he's movies. the dickhead who laughs at him and calls him stupid? Yes. Uh-huh. Aww. <laughs> the guy with the long hair? Aww. Yeah. That's McGarris. I love him and he's uh-huh. a dick in this movie. Yeah, but it's funny in a right, way, yes. you know? Yeah. What, are you stupid? I mean, not to be a dick, but are you stupid? Yeah. A Critters. Critters 2. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Those are some movies. Oh, he wrote um, uh, Hocus Pocus. Holy shit! Yeah, we talked about that when we talked about Hocus Pocus. Yeah, but they totally laugh at him because they find out that he's working with this guy and they're like, dude, are you serious? He's gone after every horror director and we've yeah. all laughed him out of the building. Uh-huh. And here you are working with him, you fucking idiot. Yeah, they laugh at him and it's hilarious and it's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. And that's why he goes to the guy and he kind of tries to get him. Like, he asks him point blank, have you talked? Well, first of all, he asks, did you talk to anybody else? And he goes, yeah, I talked to professors and these people. Reporters and and like everybody laughed. Everybody laughed at me. Uh And he goes, okay, so why did you go to a horror director? And he goes, well, I figured you guys are kind of the only people who might believe me. Uh-huh. And he's like, okay, so did you go to any other, why me? And he tells him, I think that you work outside of the system. Yeah, uh-huh. And he goes, so have you gone to any other horror directors? And he point blank says, no. So we know Tom Holland and Mick Garris, and they also mention- Several other Guer- directors. Guillermo, they, he's, they say Guillermo, so Guillermo del Toro is the implication. Landis, Carpenter, they were all bothered too. Mm-hmm. But he says no. Yeah, and that really pisses the guy off. So he's like, you know what? Or no, before he makes that decision, he looks at the videos again. So their editor, who's been watching the videos. Uh Uh-huh, all the video they've been getting from the cameras that are just on all the time. He calls him in and he's like, all right, you got to check this out. Watch him turn all these cameras off. And this just, uh, uh, just the worst explanation for why he doesn't turn all the cameras off. So, yes, there are five cameras. He turns four of them off, but Showing leaves us one that of them he does, on. in fact, know how they work. Yes. Because one of the options is maybe he doesn't know how the cameras work. No, he does if he knows how to turn them off. And uh-huh. then he goes, maybe he doesn't know how many there are. And I'm like, wasn't he there when you put them up? Yeah, he was. But anyway, so he doesn't get one. But it's filmed him going up there, turning them off, and then turning them back on again, right? So they ask, Adam Green asks the question, and it's a very relevant question. He has to know we were going to see that. So the question is, does he want us to see that? And that is a question that has no answer. They never come back to it. Why would he want them to see it? It is not an interesting question to ask, and it is a question that is never answered. But it is a very prominent question that 
sitting right there, right in front of you, slapping you in the face, and you just want them to give you an answer because it's not interesting to think about because they give you no answer. Why? Kelsey, let's think about it. Let's thought exercise. What are his possible motivations for only turning off four of the cameras, broadcasting the fact that he was doing that? But even if he forgot about the one camera, he knew they were going to see him turn off those cameras. Why did he do it? He didn't want them to see what he was doing. What he was actually doing. He didn't care that they knew he was doing it, right? Okay, if that's the answer, why are, is it never mentioned? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why not just say that's the answer? <laughs> Otherwise, what's the alternative? That he's just a fucking idiot? That's not fun. It sucks. It's not a good reason for a plot element to happen either. But this is where they're going to see that he's feeding something. Yeah, he has like a spoon and, and he cries over it. Yeah, and he pets it. And they're like, is he? Oh, my God. And they don't say what he's doing. It's like, did he kiss it? <laughs> now, here's another thing that happens here. And as funny as it is. Oh, yeah. It is very angering. This is Tombstone. Okay. So they're having this conversation about him. Why would he do this? What's he doing? What's happening? And in the background, they're, the footage keeps just rolling. Running. Yeah, uh-huh. And I, thank God we could rewind it, because I only noticed it at the very end. Uh-huh. Because I was writing a note. In the background, the footage is rolling, and you can see that a tombstone stands up and just walks uh -huh. away. It's very funny. It's really funny. But... If the implication has been that we have been seeing edited footage this entire time, uh -huh. first of all, you can't. <laughs> first of all, you cannot convince me that a camera operator wouldn't have noticed that while he was filming yes. this in the first place. Uh -huh. But even if you could, the editor certainly would see it the when they're editing, editing it. this movie. Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Never gets brought up. Like you could argue it away by saying, "Oh, well, they're just." going through the live footage they're just letting it play through and they didn't catch it and they're not going to go through all the footage twice so they missed their one and only chance to see that on screen right okay fine what about the cameraman who's recording it what about the person who's editing this footage there are plenty of other opportunities for it to be seen and it never is and there's no exp there's no satisfying explanation for why that why that might be the other thing is it's a tombstone so just suddenly a tombstone's missing and you don't notice? Also, when the tombstone's there, it has a face on it and you don't notice that? Also, that monster just sits there as a tombstone all fucking day? Even if you didn't notice, these are sort the sort of problems that you don't have if you're watching a nonsense comedy movie. But they refused to make a nonsense comedy movie. They insisted on making it slightly serious and scary. And so now I do have to evaluate it on those terms. You don't just get to have the best of both worlds and, you know, not have to deal with any of the consequences of your decisions. The very poor decisions that you make making this movie. So they decide to inspect this guy because they realize, can we really trust him? Do we really know anything about him? Mm -hmm. And this is when they're going to bring up the question of whether or not he's a real cop. And the way that they're going to do that is they're going to fly all the way out to, what is it, Boston? Boston. Well, it's their hometown. Just to, oh, is it? Yeah, I, uh -huh. It seems like they go back there just to do this. They and do. They fly back. They do. But they're like, hey, you know what? It's back home. You get to see it. How long has it been since you've been to Boston? And the cameraman's like... I just was just there two weeks for this other thing two weeks ago. And so it's like they don't even get that benefit. That's kind of a joke, but it's a joke that's like, all right. 
<laughs> but they go to this police station, they ask one dude, and he's like, I don't know this guy, and even if I did, I couldn't tell you. I'm like, and wait a minute, hey. And then they immediately fly aren't back. Our police report, like, aren't our, isn't it public record? There's a lot of police? stuff that's public record, yes. I, but what the the problem is is that he was a private investigator that worked for them. They may not be at liberty to divulge the employment records of one of their partners that doesn't work directly for the agency, right? So maybe that's what it is. But he doesn't. It's not that he doesn't divulge. It's like I couldn't tell you what he did if he worked here. I can't tell you any details about his work that he did here, but I can tell you I've never seen this man before in my life. Of course, you wouldn't say that even you yeah. would just stop it at saying i can't tell you one way or the other mm-hmm. it's like george w bush and the cocaine thing right when he when when he was testifying that he didn't do marijuana that he didn't smoke marijuana or do mushrooms or something some drug and he said no absolutely not and then they came to cocaine and he's just like no comment it's like oh okay we know what that means then <laughs> okay so the director's like i want to go and see the marrow without him and i'm like wait a minute isn't that what the cameras are for isn't that the whole point yeah but so they go and he goes and looks inside but is too afraid to go down there and it's Mm -hmm. all fucking pointless and while they're they're being loud and dicks about it which is exactly what the guy doesn't want them to do Uh uh-huh and while they're there his boot gets taken yeah he sort of falls into the hole which is weird because i thought they had just walked away from the hole everything is so dark and unclear it's hard to get a really proper layout of where everything is right but yeah his boot gets taken from him yeah and it's just it it's fucking dumb so he looks down he's like well it's not there now it's like well then someone took it yeah and his point is it came off of my it was taken off of my foot it was grabbed and taken off it's not like you know Anything else? Like, it was very intentionally taken. I didn't snag it on something. And then the camera operator and he are too afraid to go down and check, so, okay. That's when the dude shows up who believes in monsters. Oh, in a really cool way, by the way. He's, like, right there. So as he's like, oh, I got my boot. And as the camera pans up, he's like, right there. And it's actually kind of fun. It was a fun jump scare. He got his boot back? I thought he He didn't. He didn't. No, he got his boot back. Oh, well, I like that during this boot kerfuffle, he's he's like, I wouldn't do the same thing twice. And the guy goes, oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Have you seen Hatchet 2? <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you explain Hatchet 2, I think? It's, yeah, have you seen Hatchet 2 is what he says, yeah. Go get your boot. I'll get, I'll get my boot. I'm get out of here. If something happens to me, seriously. And don't do that thing where something grabs you again. I would never do the same gag twice. Have you seen Hatchet 2? Decker shows up and he's really mad at them for how loud they're being. And he tells him, you know, I warned you, some of them can be very dangerous. And the director, I like one of his lines. He's like, dude, I don't know if I can believe you. Are we just Linus waiting for the great pumpkin? Yeah, which is great. Mm -hmm. Awesome reference. I love that. And he tells them we're being watched by them right now. And again, they don't believe him because they don't see anything. But I'm like, uh, haven't you already been proven wrong about that in the past when you thought that there was nothing there and that guy was right in front of you? Yeah. But so they get in the car and he's like, you've got to drive around them. And he's like, I don't see them. And then he turns on the light and then, oh. Or There's a couple things happen. Do we see them before they so he gets we, in the we car? Do, we do, we okay. do. So the first thing that happens is the cameraman hears like a squealing and a grunting or a talking or something like that. And then he finds that little teeny monster 
mm-hmm. running around, and that is fucking cool. The way they made that look so real, really and awesome. I fucking loved him. It reminded me great. of Krampus. I don't know why. A little bit. There are these sort of weird, grotesque, artistically done <laughs> monsters that aren't like they're not designed to look realistic. Mm-hmm. They're designed to look. Creepy. Creative and creepy, but then you put them in this context with low lighting and a spotlight, and all of a sudden you just get this sensation that there is something physically there and something that looks like that. <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, that would be scary. Like with the fucking Jack in the Box in Krampus, right? Like yeah. it's that sort of thing. And he just runs around and oh god, that was so cool. And then they come across this weird face in the trees, and it's like this weird painted face. And then it looks up and you realize it's the top of this larger monster's head. I don't know if that's Little Bigfoot or not. And he's lumbering around. He looked incredible. Like, I, oh my God, I think they did such a good job being so creative with obviously little resources and just making things in a public park and in their production offices and with what they had on hand for a low budget. They did some really creative stuff to make it look really cool. And then we see Vance. It's Vance that has the pumpkin face. Yeah. yeah. Takes the bag off because they're in the car at this point. The evil ones, which is weird because we were told earlier he's the one that would lead them to his world. Yeah. But I guess maybe that means that he's also their protector. So he has to protect them from them. He takes off the bag and he's just a dude. He has a regular old head. But he's like all painted up, isn't he? Yeah. And then he has these, like, okay, I'm serious. Imagine those little... It's Doc Ock. Yes, but you need to imagine what they look like in your in your head. So, okay. Imagine it's one of those birthday party blower things that sort of, you know, you blow into them hard and they whistle and they unravel, right? And then when you stop blowing in, they roll back up. Imagine he has like six or eight of those or whatever on his back and they're of larger size. Like that's the way they just sort of unfurl. And because they need to roll up, when they unroll, they still look a little bit flat. But they sort of like they're filled up with air, but they have these sort of points (laughs) on the side. And they're a little bit see-through. And it's like they look like, like what are they? What's their purpose? What are they made up of? Are they dangerous? Should I be scared of this? Like... It looks like he's wearing a backpack with a little thing that where he presses a button and just all this air pu- pushes through these Christmas party blower things. And that's what it is. That's the scary monster man. And that's their intimidating one. And it really bothers me because the three others that we've seen up to this point look fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. And now the one that's going to be the legitimate threat who's going to try to fuck up their car looks ridiculous. He's so stupid looking. I hate him. I hate it. Yeah, I wrote, <laughs> he tells him, drive around it, drive around it. And I wrote down, the, the spider monster won't let them drive around it. <laughs> yeah. And I hate it, like, the he had, before this, they had accused him. Listen to me, you know what was stupid? Was the other day, when we took you out to coffee, and I asked you, point blank, have you sent this shtick to anybody else? And what did you say? I, I said that I took it to a multitude of places before I brought it to you. No, 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 no. I asked you, point blank, didn't I? I asked him, point blank, I said, have you sent this to any other directors in Hollywood? And you said, no, just you. Just you, just me. That's what you said. And it's not adding up at this point. It's never going to add up if they move away because of your meddling. Uh, Our meddling? Yes, your meddling. No, we're trying to tell a story here because, you know what, like, what if, 
What if it was real? I want to believe in it. He wants to believe in it. And I've sunk a lot of my time and a lot of, of his money into this so far. And honestly, it feels like, like Linus waiting for the great pumpkin to yeah. arrive or something. Uh -oh. And for all we know, this is just a bunch of your buddies running around in, in like Halloween costumes for our cameras. Yeah, maybe I don't need the two of you involved in this anymore, all right? But let's take this conversation over to the road so we don't make the situation any worse than it is? No, we're Come not on. taking one more step until you admit that you've been lying. About? About what haven't you lied about? About everything. Monsters, the marrow, it, it, your name. But they had this whole accusation scene, and then here again we have the same exact, exact accusation scene. And I'm like, did you forget that you already yes. filmed this conversation? Yeah, I don't remember what line it is, but... Oh, no, he says the thing about how you said no when I asked you if other people, if you went to other people, you said no that you didn't. Tim, just tell me the truth about one single thing. Okay, how about this, Mr. Decker, if that's even your name? What about the fact that you went to every director in Hollywood before you came to us with this project, right? What, what, I, what, I was like the absolute last choice, and I asked you, point blank, to wear coffee, bullshit, and you bullshit, lied to me about bullshit, that Bullshit, too. bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And yeah, that that interaction happens twice yes. in different contexts. Yes. And it's um, like they were just kind of filming whatever they had. But according to Adam Green, everything was was strictly scripted. There was no improv. And it's like, OK, I believe that you wrote everything. But since you're the lead actor and you're the director and you're the writer, wouldn't all improv be considered just you writing it? <laughs> But anyway, that's fine. Let We'll say that it is strictly scripted. If that's the case, why this double scene here? Unless you're just sort of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what, what sticks, and then you either forgot that you already did that scene, or that was the only good take that you had, and so you had to leave that line in. Either way, it's not a good thing. No, it's bad. And I, I noticed it about something else, too. I felt like they were just regurgitating things, like, a yeah. couple times. So after that interaction, of course, Decker is freaking out. He's worried they're going to move. I'm not going to lose him. Who's him? Yeah, meaning his Obviously son. Obviously his son, yeah. And so he just says, you know what? We'll, we'll dig ourselves. We'll go together or whatever. And he tells him, come back tomorrow. At dawn. And you knew he wasn't going to be there when they came back. Yeah. Which he's not. When they come back, his neighbor is like, what are you talking about? Nobody's lived there for a year. And they go in and they find that room and they're just like, well, uh, he's gone. Yeah. And when they went to go and look at the hole themselves, the it was gone. also gone. And they're like, all right, I guess that's the end of that. And then. And it's a month later. I oh, think. it's a month later. Yeah, I think it's okay. a month. We get our last scene. Yeah. The Okay. So we didn't mention this. One of the cameras was stolen. Oh, yeah. We forgot to mention that. So he says that, okay, we had camera two or whatever it is returned to us. And then, you know, you got to see this footage and he shows us the footage. So what do we see on this camera? Well, I want to tell you that I didn't, I, this whole thing was not done well. Yes. He uh, telling like the documentary, I'm like, are you still making a documentary? Because if you are, I don't imagine this is how you would have given it, told the information to right. the audience. Uh -huh. He just kind of like throws this information at you. Yeah. The end of his documentary expose is, is going to have super the, it, weak. <laughs> right. It's going to be the biggest evidence you have. And you're not even catching it in any context or anything. You're going to talk about it. Yeah. Nothing. Uh -huh, nothing. I like, I don't believe you. Yeah. This is not a real documentary. Uh huh. So we see that Decker is being held captive and he tells the camera, 
I'm crazy. I'm a liar. None of it's real. There are no monsters. So stupid. It's really dumb. So stupid. Like, again, it's not Ray Wise's problem. The problem is, why would that, why would you send somebody that footage of you obviously being real and existing and that statement being coerced? I think it's more supposed to be a warning. Don't keep looking or this is what's going to happen to you. Right. Then why not just say, don't keep looking or this is going to happen to you? Obviously, we can see that there is somebody who's fucking with Ray Wise. And what bothered me even more yeah. is that they needed to have a jump scare at the end. But the jump scare is stupid. Zero it makes sense. no sense. It makes no sense. So we're shown how he received this camera. Oh, we get a lot of footage of walking underground, and it's very obvious that wherever they are, wherever they built this underground, like their production studios or whatever, they've reached the end and they need to turn around and walk the other way. And so he's just walking through the same set, but in a different direction. So he kind of like looks up and then like, oh, what's going on? And expects you not to realize that he's made a 180, but he very obviously has. <laughs> anyway, then it's at the house, Adam Green's house. Showing us how the camera is delivered. So the guy apparently went into their home and filmed them all creepily and put the camera on his bedside table and you think that's going to be it. But instead, he does this high-pitched scream. Now, when the guy told us he found this camera, he did not say, I got this in the middle of the night because a giant monster was screaming at uh -huh. me and then left the camera and then just walked away. Uh -huh. And I did nothing to stop him. Like, he's just like... Not, he didn't talk about that because it would have made no fucking sense. Yeah. So, but the, we've got to have that jump scare at the end. So we're just going to have him scream as if that's how he delivered the camera. Yeah. It is the stupidest fucking thing. It's a very bad decision to, to end your movie that way. Yes. Because you do not understand why, why jump scares work at the end of movies, apparently. It's also like, you know, he's trying to do wreck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? You know how Wreck ends with her being pulled into the darkness or whatever? I was reminded more of paranormal activity. But. Yeah, no, paranormal activity is another great example. But yeah, it doesn't make sense in context that like, okay, it would make sense if that's where the footage ended and then Adam Green was never seen or heard from again. Exactly. But that's not what happened. No. It just felt like Adam Green gave up making this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, maybe he gave up making it because he was actually terrified and it was having a negative effect on his home life and they broke into his house, so he stopped. He still fucking edited it together and published it. So obviously he didn't stop. There's just contradiction after contradiction after contradiction like this throughout the entire movie. It's serious and scary. No, but it's funny and silly. And it's just plausible deniability for the filmmaker for every single criticism. It's like, well, well, you know, it wasn't really believable. I wasn't trying to make it believable. I was actually trying to make it to where you wouldn't believe it. You know, like, <laughs> come the fuck on. Like, no, it's, it's that through and through, which is really frustrating. Because somewhere in here is a premise doing a lot of heavy lifting uh, and some fan-fucking-tastic creature work doing some heavy lifting and some surprisingly good acting from Adam Green and some consistently good acting from Ray Wise. Mm -hmm. But it's all shoved into this fucking sausage casing of a bad movie. And that's what makes it so frustrating. 
Agreed. It's a movie that it's light. It's fun. I can't think of much of a reason to hate it or him. But it's just just bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I'm thinking it's probably going to be high. Mm-hmm. I'm going to think it's like a 76. 60%. Oh. Out of 20 reviews and a Metacritic of 45. Again, Cinema Score was down, so I don't have that. But 60%, Rotten Tomatoes, 60% of reviewers, of those 20 reviewers, had positive things to say about it. Would you walk away as a rotten or fresh rating? Probably rotten. Probably. I'm going to give it a 55. Okay. I think that there are things to offer here. Yes. But they are just squashed by a lot of bad shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's... It's a little offensive, maybe, to me. And I know that's stupid. But I feel almost offended that it's something that could have been great if they just applied themselves a little bit. And I feel like there's every fucking excuse. They have every goddamn excuse for why they didn't do the thing that would have been cool. And it's just plausible deniability excuses. It's just sort of like, you know, your kids in your class that they can say... You know, I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it. Can't prove anything. Mm-hmm. You know, deny until you die. It's that sort of thing. Oh, well, you know, it was weird that you could see their breath sometimes, and not see their breath other times. Did he say, I can't control the weather, dude. I had to make the movie. You know, I, 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 I couldn't make it only when it was a certain temperature. So that's what happens. That's reality. And we would have gone, okay, that makes sense. But no, that's not what he said. You know, and it's that. I feel just throughout this. Well, man, Ray Wise was a terrible choice if you wanted us to believe it. I actually didn't want you to believe it. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) I don't believe you. You thought he was a good actor. I understand that. You didn't think it through. I understand that. But no, this was the plan all along. It was always planned to be this way. It's because I'm actually really secretly a super genius and an amazing filmmaker, and I deserve all the praise that I'm getting. Uh, He strikes me as a fine guy, but it's disappointing. I don't think I can give this a 55. Okay. Like I said, I I can't think of a lot of reasons to to like dislike the movie, but now recounting everything, I can't think of good reasons to give it a good score. So I think I'm just going to have to fall right smack dab in the middle. I'll give it a 50, I think. Okay. But thank you. To Will? Yeah. Yeah. Will, Will, thank you. No, no. Okay. This was a lot of fun, having seen the movie and then getting a chance to talk about it with my wife. is a lot of fun, so I will never begrudge that of anybody. So thank you, Will, for the recommendation. And of course, again, thank you to Aaron for recommending The Night Flyer. Yes, thank you. Uh, Two movies that didn't really set the podcast on fire, (laughs) but I guess they did in a way. It's a very ranty episode, and that's, I'm sure, my fault. That is Monster Investigations Week. Yes. On Pod Cemetery. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? It's another recommendation week. Is it? Yes. What are we watching? And we're going to finish a franchise. Are we? Yes. We are finishing the Urban Legend franchise. We're doing it. Yes. We had planned to do this, but also Chickapedia recommended that we finish it up by watching Urban Legends Final Cut. And then Urban Legends, Bloody Mary, which apparently is about a real uh, so, ghost situation. Chickapedia recommended 
final cut. Oh, she did not. We came up with the we idea with, of okay. uh, Bloody Mary. Sorry, because it, it is the other urban legends movie, and it's on the more it's on the modern side. It's from two thousand five. Yes. So we get to pair them up. So, but yeah, let's let's wrap up urban legends because I want to get to Final Destination. We need to close as many franchises as we can. OJ left more blood out than that on the Bronco. Is that, should I? I like I know it, but what what is it's it from, from Urban Legends? Final oh, Cut. Yeah. Oh, is it? <laughs> Because they're making a horror movie. Right. Oh, man. I have this. I found it on VHS. Yes, he did. It's in our garage right now. I took a picture of it. I will share it with you guys. (laughs) That I own Urban Legends Final Cut on VHS. Yeah. From Blockbuster when they were liquidating their VHS inventory. (laughs) Anyway, that is next week. In the meantime, you can always find us at our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And you know what? Even bigger than that, just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey... Any last words? On a scale of 1 to 10, it's really soft. Hello, my name is Chris. Oh, we need to do quiet time and everything. You know what? Stuffy nose, I've still got a stuffy nose. Not flyer, 1997. Digging up the marrow. 2014. Okay. Well, let's get right. Well, let's get right started. Sometimes the shower just decides, okay, evacuate all the water now. We've, we sure have covered a lot of movies. Uh, never publish what you believe and never believe what you publish. Hold on. I'm going to have to Google this. Let's, let's ruin my uh, search history. Woodchuck butthole uh, you know what let me see anus why wouldn't you just put in the phrase to see if it's a phrase because i did and i'll tell you what i found let's go to images let's look at woodchuck buttholes nobody's just ch- taking pictures of a woodchuck butt how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if, if a woodchuck, woodchuck could chuck, chuck wood? wood color yeah and as black as a woodchuck's asshole on the outside Perhaps you need me, Dees, but there are others who need me as well. After all, we are brothers in blood, are we not? This sad world would be a sadder place without the likes of you. Besides, I have fed well tonight, mm-hmm. like you said. Oh, so very well. But listen closely, my inquisitive friend, as I say this only once. Do not follow me anymore, or I will swallow you whole. That much, I promise. And that's Person Natalie. A boobity boop. A boobity boop.
That is Father's, not Father's Day. Nope. Huh. We said no on watching it, right? Yeah. Okay, good. So it's in my notes. It's even worse than I remembered it being. <laughs> There's so many just bad choices for making it a documentary. Yeah. Um, because they did not know what was happening in the moment, what was happening in the past. Mm-hmm. When had they edited? When had they not? For and sure. also, like, a lot of it really makes this guy look uh, discreditable. Eh, what's the word? Creditable? The opposite. Uncreditable? Is that the word? I... Uncreditable? Not credible? <laughs> I would just say not credible. Can you look it up? Untrustworthy, it says. There is no un or dis or whatever word for credible. Incredible. <laughs> is uncredible a word? Yeah, the opposite of credible is incredible. As in, like, literally, it just means hard to believe. It's so funny because we don't use it that way. Exactly. Anymore. But that's literally, like, like, the idea of awesome doesn't mean good. It means inspiring awe. Yes. So, anyway. Yes. We have changed We've those changed. Words. Language has changed. That's why when people get mad about people using ironic incorrectly, it's nah. just like, that's what people ah. mean. That's what it means these days. Totally. But it shouldn't. And we shouldn't be encouraging that. <laughs> then maybe we should stop using awesome and incredible. No, I think, I think there are versions of that. Like, you're not losing anything when you make those changes. I think, I think I am very prescriptive when it comes to language, I will say. Very prescriptive. Um, sorry. Back it, flip it, reverse it. I am very descriptive you when realize, it comes to language. You realize we haven't done quiet time. I know. Okay. When we haven't even started the episode yet. I'm just having a conversation with you. I'm very descriptive when it comes to language. I understand that language changes and evolves, and I'm all for it. We need to recognize that it does and then do an appropriate job documenting it so it makes sense. So why is the problem with ironic? That does not mean that I have to give up my God-given right to think that something is stupid. I recognize that literally does not always literally mean literally. I recognize that. I think it's important that we acknowledge that. I also, at the same time, think that it's one of the stupidest things to happen to the English language in the history of the English language. And it bothers me quite a bit because awesome, the definition changed. (laughs) You still, we still do use the word awesome to mean awesome. And the fact that awesome means cool doesn't take away from that. And it also doesn't mean literally the exact opposite of what it used to mean it's just a different use for it and we have lots of words that we can use right but nowadays Uh you don't say awesome you say awe inspiring if that's what you mean sure maybe because nobody knows awesome to mean that anymore there was a time when if you meant that something actually happened i'm not kidding i mean in reality you would use the word literally with the newer definition of literally to also include actually not literally at all, literally the exact opposite of the definition of literally. 
<laughs> you have removed the word and all of its utility. All of it. For what? Like, it's not just, oh, you know, the definition sort of kind of changed. No, you've defanged the word entirely. The whole purpose of the word is that you could not interpret it any other way. That's the only utility of the word. And you have taken that utility away. That word is fucking useless now. And there is no adequate word that has replaced it. What word? How do you what do you say when you mean? No, no, I mean, this literally happened. You have to say it over and over and over again in a bunch of different words to get that to sink in because literally doesn't mean literally. No, I mean, actually, in real life, I'm not lying. I'm not joking. This did happen in reality. You now have to say when you could have just said it literally happened. Now you can't anymore. I recognize that the language has changed. I just think it's fucking stupid. (laughs) That's my little rant. Put that at the end of the episode, too. This is a rant-heavy episode. Are you ready for quiet time? Yeah. Okay.